Hey everybody, it's Hardy. Welcome to the Automatic Crowd, the St. Vitus Bar podcast. I have unfortunately been on tour for a while, so Ron and I have not been able to get together to do the intros for um, the interviews that we have done as of recently. Uh, many of them were played on Gimme Radio in heavily edited forms, um, but we wanted to give you the full-length versions of these interviews because they're all awesome. The first one we're going to give you is Blasco. So Blasco was the bass player of Cryptic Slaughter and one of the founding members. Uh, he was also in Danzig, Ron's Rob Zombie, and um, recently and well, currently in Ozzy on his farewell tour. Um and he's an awesome guy with a really amazing history, which we delve deeply into. Uh, he's now a music manager and has a couple of podcasts of his own, uh, which he will mention. So, without further ado, here is oh, Zach's always been nice. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Ron, we're recording. Ingvay's a dick? Yeah, Ingvay's a dick. Yeah. I don't think that's really a newsflash, but no, it's not. we can make it official. Yeah, it's okay. Great. I saw, actually, I saw Zach on uh, that metal show. He was the guest guitar player. I was sitting right next to him. He was, yeah, it was weird. He gave out hats to everybody. Oh, that's right. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> right. Hats. yeah, and I got sat next to Jimmy Duff. It was weird. Oh, um, that's awkward. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Blasco. Yes. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Hey, thanks Appreciate for doing it, man. Yeah, thanks yeah. for coming. We've been down. talking about it forever. Convenient that I'm, you know, close by and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. Day and off. Thank you for for getting us into the show the other day. Yeah, of course. That was yeah, uh, that was killer. Yeah. Those Truly. tickets were fucking ace. Yeah. It was yeah. uh, we like uh, we got the, we tried to go backstage and it was like oh you have to be escorted and I was like oh this is a this is an Aussie crew thing because the same thing happened to me with Black Sabbath yeah when uh we uh, Geezer was here for a party and Pedro his assistant I don't know if he still works for him but he get, he got us backstage and and um and we were like like we met him we walked through the backstage and we got through the gate but he got us the passes but he didn't get us tickets. And then we were like, we were outside the gate, and we look at the security guy, and we were like, uh, so where do we, can we go with this? And he's like, not back in there. And I was like, so we don't have seats. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> we just, just stand around. So, yeah. so we got, in we, everybody's way. We, yeah. got, we got these great VIP passes, and then we went to the lawn. <laughs> the and, yes. But you were nice enough to give us great seats. Yeah, that was, so that was appreciated. so killer. That was great. Um, and we got close enough to see our boy Roy. Yeah. Our old friend Roy Stone Sour. That was that was nice. The uh, the old sound man for at Wetlands. Yeah, we grew oh, up with him yeah, in the punk scene. Right. Yeah, from the nausea days. That's he's, right. Yeah, I've known him since the eighties. Yeah, he's great guy, great drummer. Awesome, and uh, and you were awesome. That well, was thank you. Fucking, you look like you're having a fucking ball. Yeah, it was a little humid, but other than that, it was yeah. hot. I imagine. Yeah, you were, yeah, it was. It was moist. It was moist. You know what I was thinking but, about? What, what are you and what are you and uh, and the drummer? Was it Tony? Tommy. Tommy. Sorry, yeah. I'm such a dick. Uh, <laughs> what do you and Tommy do during Zach solo? You guys like you guys talk about what you're gonna get after for, for dinner afterwards. Oh, because we're up there. To get, like, it, it, well, it's quite a break. I think I think it was that particular night. You guys didn't see it, but there was a girl in the front row, a large girl in okay. the front row, and her boyfriend or whatever that was next to her. They they were shirt came off. And then she was getting her humongous boobs out of this holster that she had them in and um, <laughs> until the security guy told her to put her shirt back on. So that we were laughing, like we were looking and laughing at each other <laughs> at the ridiculousness of that whole thing. Wow. That, that particular Well, that's night. entertaining. Yeah. How, how often does that happen? Not often enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're fun, dude. That's good. I like to hear that. <laughs> 
And these days, you know, you got to watch it with the with the old school. Yeah. Late, you know, late 80s glam metal stuff. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> or rock and roll in general. It's like, you know, you would think cuz it's like, you know, the majority of people are are people that, you know, they don't go to many gigs and they're out, like, you know what I mean? Like they were at the Motley Crue farewell tour. They're at yeah. the Ozzy farewell tour, you know? Oh like, yeah. The demographic they, is, whew. yeah. They, they come out, you know, for the, the warrant, you know, Bon Jovi tour. Like, you know, it's like certain things that get, get the eighties crusters out. So you would think you would see more topless. Ladies. More decadence. Yeah. You know, just, just reliving the glory years. Yeah. I think, I, I, think, uh, of I think most of them, I don't want to see them. No, the you don't years. want to, but you appreciate it no matter what. Yeah. Just, just, I, the, just I appreciate the, Ozzie, the, I, yeah. the thing is, Ozzy just dipped his frosted tips in the mid 80s yeah. into, uh, into that world. Not, yeah. He didn't really go full force. But, right. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, he always, he always had all the credibility in the of world. Course. So he could do anything. Yeah, he came out the gate with the most. Yeah. I do Wait, love the, 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 the nickname then was, you know, whenever it was the sequin coats and the huge hair and everything, yeah. it, was, it was Liberazzi. <laughs> <laughs> That's spot That's on. That's brilliant. That's so good. That's so, so, I mean, your, your, uh, your resume is pretty, I mean, we know it pretty well. Um, I, was, I wasn't aware of all the management stuff that you do mm-hmm. now, and we'll get into that later. But when we first approached you about doing this, we wanted to talk about Cryptic Slaughter because... We were kind of like fresh off doing like we, 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 we interview a lot of drummers and bass players and people that that, you know, get to watch the lead singer shake their butt, shall yeah. we say, the way that, you know, uh, what was it Charlie Watts said that or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I always feel like like bass, the rhythm section people have great stories like, you know, everybody's heard what the fucking singer wants. And tend to get say. the mic the least. Yeah. Yeah. And also, sure. The, they're not in the forefront of the public eye as yeah. much. But also Cryptic Slaughter being from our world more in the 80s um where like how did you meet those guys you weren't on the demo right so you didn't correct and and you must have been pretty young i'm guessing we were all young we were all in high school okay and the way that the connection happened is that we had a mutual friend the band and myself there was a mutual friend his name was chris casillas and and chris went to school with me in venice and the other guys were in santa monica um which in la is like 10 minutes away from you know each other and, well, um, a two-hour drive, but 10 minutes. Yeah, two-hour drive in traffic. But, <laughs> but, you know, theoretically 10 minutes away. But anyway, so we had a mutual friend. At the time that they did the Life in Grave demo, they were a three-piece, and Bill sang and played bass. But he didn't want, he didn't want, to, be, he didn't want to be that guy anymore. He just wanted to be the singer guy, you know. Um, so Chris was like, oh, I know a bass player. And he hit me hit me up and he's like, Hey, you know, I'm hanging out with the guys. We should, you know, all go hang out. They're looking for a bass player. And so we went and hung out one night in Westwood and, and, um, just kind of shot the shit and it's connected and I jam with them. And then they're like, great. Like, let's just do this. And uh, so off the demo, they got signed to metal blade, right? Well, there was that the song on the metal, metal massacre blade. comp being from here. The song of the demo was on the metal massacre comp and that got him a lot of press. It, it was, it was cause, but you weren't on that recording, you know, I guess. You know depending on how old school you are of who's listening is that was the tape trading era, right? So that was, that was how things got around is you had all these people that, that traded cassette tapes and, um, Brian, Brian will, Brian Slagle from Metal Blade will tell you that he just really liked the name of the band. Um, (laughs) I think that's in his book actually. Yeah. (laughs) He, he, he just really liked the name of the band and, um, and I, th- I think that they heard it, and, and it was just the band was so at the time obscenely fast, you know, and um, and I don't know that 
any of us kind of sat down and said, like, you know, it would be cool, like, if we played faster than anybody Yeah, I was going to say, what, what was the influence behind that? Was it just the drummer couldn't, had no fucking tempo and he just... Well, I mean, yeah, it's just like, <laughs> let's just, you just play as humanly possible. Yeah, fast, fast. fast and then yeah. we'll just keep up. You know? Okay. Um, but, like I said... Because, I mean, at the time, all the bands that were doing that the were, only like, other band I knew that fast was DRI. But was that, the, was DRI the, wasn't as you know they they were more realistic in terms of the speed, but they were a fast you know fast. Were band you guys band. aware of DRI at the time? Because of course, you know, yeah, in, yeah, in no, retrospect, everybody kind of throws Cryptic Slaughter, DRI, XL, all those bands together. Well, the yeah. Venice bands, like for here, we just lumped it in with Venice. We like oh suicidal XL, Beowulf, right. blah blah blah. But we didn't really know. And I wrote to you guys back then saying, hey, you coming to the East Coast? And you're like, no, we're poor. We can't make it there. And you guys, unfortunately, never made it to the East Coast. We never did, no. Yeah. yeah. I wrote when the Convicted record came out, I bought it. And I was like, oh, I love this band. And I wrote you guys and bought like a shirt. And I said, if you ever need help booking a show here? But it didn't even seem like it was a possibility. No. I didn't I mean, we, you guys we were, were still in high school. We I didn't were, even think of that. We were in high school. I mean, we were like, <clears throat> when, when the Metal Blade deal happened, like we were 15 years old, except for Les was, you know, he was a couple of years older than us, like right. two, two or three years older than us. But, um... Uh, but we, I mean, we put out, you know, we put out a record each year in high school. So it was like, <laughs> it was like 1986, 1987 and 1988, you know, it was convicted money talk stream of consciousness in that order. And those were every year of high school for us. <laughs> That's <laughs> fucking amazing. Did yeah. you, did you tour in the summer? We toured, like we did, we did little tours, like, but if there was a break, like a summer break or Easter break or whatever, we would do like little runs up, you know, up the, up the coast or, you know, over you know, to Vegas and Phoenix. We would just do little tours. You like, used to go to like the Portland area a lot, right? Because you're go, friends yeah, with Wehrmacht and Spastic Blur and, and Accused and yeah, stuff. Exactly. And, and, and we, we could always get a run of like, you know, San Francisco, um, Portland, Seattle, like that was always kind of yeah. the run, L.A., and or we would do local shows like in LA and stuff and spread them out and stuff. So the only actual tour we did was in 1988, and that was the we like we literally like I rem I literally graduated high school, and then the next day we got in the van and went on tour. And like what was that three, tour? Was that weeks. like supposed to be all of America? It was supposed to be all of America. Yeah, and then and then you know I mean it was 1988 and it was like us and this band called Anchor Watt. Yeah, from that, of course. Oh, great band. Yeah. yeah, that was on Metal Blade. And, and, you know, Danny from that band ended up joining Nine Inch Nails right. after yeah. that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, so we did that. And then eventually it just we got to a point when we started getting further and further east. Some of the shows just, you know, we'd roll up to a gig and it was like, it wasn't really a show. You know, gotcha. it, was, yeah. it was just because it was just like punk rock booking and, right. and promoters and stuff. I remember one show we did. I forgot what city it was, but the venue was such a shithole and it was raining and it was leaking like the roof was leaking right on the drum riser <laughs> right from the rain. And so they literally had an umbrella like this big <laughs> like outdoor furniture umbrella over the drum. That riser. sounds like some Euro squat <laughs> shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it really totally. Does. Or ABC No Rio, you know. <laughs> But, but you, but you got to figure it's like, cause like even in LA, like living in LA, I mean, we didn't play, we didn't play like the whiskey or the Roxy or like, you know, we didn't play legitimate what clubs. Were, yeah. Like, well, you weren't in we, that scene really. Were no. you playing? What were you playing? Like we were, we were like, like, like a backyard, like a, like a backyard or like a rec room, okay. like some, yeah. you know, punk rock promoter kid would, you know, book a rec room. Yeah. That still or, exists. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and stuff, but we didn't, we didn't play like legitimate places like Balboa theater was like. At the time, but super sketch, always in super sketchy areas. Yeah, you know, and that whole punk circuit then was 
yeah. run like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember. That's a different time and place. I mean, that still happens to a degree now, but not like it did back then. Yeah. I remember the first gig that we did was like this Shriners Hall or something that some guy convinced, you know, to let them do a show there. Probably had a sick PA. Yeah. No. And, and well, that's the thing is that is that because there was all these dudes like slam dancing and stage diving or whatever that the guy that owned the place was like, shut the gig down, like, you know, PA off or the, the I think it was the PA rental company. They're like, fuck this. Was, <laughs> so they shut it down. So Bill sang through my bass amp and then I played through <laughs> some other dude's guitar amp. Like that was the gig, you know, but that shit happened all the time. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. You know, that yeah. was, that was just how it, that's how it was. was. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. You know? So I got a, I got a two part question that, um, so what was high school like for you? Were you guys like the fucking weirdos Were people like, dude, you're in a, Awesome well, punk band. Yeah, like, no, like no one gave a shit. Like, you know, it's funny to think, like in hindsight, like, oh man, like you, dude, you were in a band putting out records going on tour, like in high school. Yeah. Like, people must have thought you were cool and you must have got chicks. And, no. You know what's not. funny is that the bands in New York that did that, they did. Like Sammy Siegler. Yeah, but that's later <laughs> yeah. in the game. That's true. It's a few years later, I guess. When you're doing it, like, it in the mid 80s, you're still the weirdo. And, and yeah. it has no status in the real world. No, it didn't. It, <laughs> it didn't matter. It was like still all about jocks and cheerleaders. Right. In high school. Like, no one gave a Oh, fuck. that was. You like, were an they, outsider if you were in a band. I forgot. Totally. The, the youth crew were jocks. So yeah. it, it totally makes sense. Yeah, that's the yeah. next generation. <laughs> yeah. They were the cool kids. So I went to school in Venice. So here's an interesting story. I went to school in Venice, and the, the gang is. In, in Venice that went to my school was Venice Shoreline Crips. Like, th- that was the, those were the guys. And the only reason why any of the guys even were in a class of mine is because their parole officers <laughs> made them go to school. Like, Forced. Because most, you know, most real gangsters, like, didn't even go to school. Or they'd show up once or whatever. But I said, like, you know, the, the Crips, like, they would go because their parole officers made them. But the interesting thing is these dudes were terrified of us because the the devil is like no oh, like they yeah. no, they don't fuck that's with what the they devil. fucking Santeria yeah. shit so dude. like yeah. so we roll around with like you know Iron Maiden or Venom shirts or whatever they want nothing to do with us like and they'll be talking about drive by shootings that they did the day before yeah. like hardcore dudes and they're just like oh yeah but you guys are still cool. stay away from the state it's funny because yeah. the fear is mutual yeah you know I had <laughs> that sure. here I hung out with like all these like Slayer Venom Celtic Frost dudes and. We go into those shady neighborhoods and they're scared of us. And we're like, yeah. these dudes are going to kill us. Yeah. And they looked at us like, yes. these dudes are into Satan. Yeah. And they step back. Yep. They are terrified yeah. of that. So it was interesting. Yeah. 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 It's Thank a God weird cultural thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Slayer saved your life in a subconscious My way. second part of the question is, were, like, from that experience, where, was it like, I mean, was it like college isn't in the cards? I'm hooked. I want to fucking play music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, 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 no doubt. Like, yeah. like. I think it's an interesting perspective that I have this conversation a lot in that, like, I don't know anything else because I got, I got signed and started putting out records so early that, you know, a lot of people I run into, man, they just want to put out one record. You know, they just want to get signed. And I was like, man, I graduated high school. I already put out three records. Like I was, I was in so deep at that point that like, I, I knew that I didn't want to go to college way early on. Like it was just like, further education was of no interest to me whatsoever and um like i just like whenever we all graduated high school and went on tour and then came back and the band broke up at that point um i was i was the only one that really was so taken by the rock and roll bug that i chased it you know to the bitter end of being all the way here well i mean obviously you i don't know how good you were back then you were pretty good but the 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 like you know, I, I think in some ways you kind of notice that you, or you feel yourself like you have the talent 
to kind of go on. Like, you know, if somebody's not good at something, if you, although you live in Los Angeles, and <laughs> I'm sure you run into lots of people who aren't the best musicians ever, who are just like delusional dreamers. There's also the best musicians in the world in L.A. as well, which when I lived out there, I was just like, oh, my God, I suck. Why, why did I get a major label deal? Like, can I give all my money to you? Yeah. <laughs> but the, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting way of like, you know, at the time you probably didn't think about it, but it's like, yeah, the talent I, I can so do secondary this. in the punk scene. So, I mean, once you're past that and you're going into more of the established music scene, then it's a Did combination you? Was of that, talent and was connection. That, was that what, like, well, first of all, what I broke, don't think that I... What broke I, up the band? Well, because we graduated high school. That was it. Yeah. So, what, what I mean, it was like, it was like, well, we, like, we have to get a real, like, we have to get real lives. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, our parents are going to start kicking us out here. Like, you know what I mean? And, right. and Cryptic Slaughter wasn't paying the bills. You know, we didn't, we didn't. We didn't start making money as a band until 2003, whenever Relapse re-released our record. Are you fucking serious? Yeah. Yeah. That's ironic. Never saw a dime. Wow. I mean, I I would figure you wouldn't have seen a lot, but like, but were were people coming out to the shows? Did they know the music? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, 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 you know, I mean, the shows were, the shows were good. I mean, I mean, as, as to be expected, you know what I mean? It's, it's, you know. um, Everyone loved you here. Yeah. But it was like, oh, that's a, you know. There were certain bands from the West Coast that just never made it here. Yeah. Attitude adjustment. And, and you vice, guys. Yeah, and vice and it was versa. Like we waited and waited. And you yeah. probably waited for the bands we saw. Exactly. Oh, like AF and, yeah. Like, yeah, you know, like stuff Chromex. we just couldn't get, you know, yeah. to the but, East uh, Co- or West Coast. No, yeah. it was, uh, and you guys, you had, you know, you had your foot in both doors. Like, the thrash metal, early death metal guys loved you, and obviously the hardcore punk guys loved you, too. Yeah. You were in both worlds, and there was, like, a crowd waiting here, but... Yeah, guys like you and Attitude Adjustment. You know, we just waited and this never came. Was was the car, band, was, like, suicidal came? Of course, Excel yeah. made it. Yeah, did Excel made it back? Excel then? made it twice. They yeah. toured with they Biohazard. Played, they here. played here recently. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. My my old bandmate Alex is their guitar player yeah. now. Oh okay. Uh, yeah, Ferrer. but like I I don't, I don't I don't feel like I thought that I was talented. I feel like I was way more naive about it. Yeah, and good I, and 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 <laughs> yeah and 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 the naiveness comes from the fact of. I guess I thought that I was talented, not in a technical sense, but talented in that I had put out three records before I graduated right, high school. Which is pretty cool. So I was yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, well, I got that going for me. Right. You know? Well, that's so more than 99.9% yeah. of the musicians in the world. Right. I go, that must mean something. I, I, I remember the first record deal. I remember signing my first record deal. It was 1991. And, and uh, I walked outside. I think I've told you this story before. Where, like, um, It was like Ed, Ray, Ed was in the band at yeah. the time and stuff. And I remember I turned to Ed and I was like, I was like, Ed, Anything we record or write from here on out, the rest of our lives, somebody's going to put it out. Like, we're never going to have to fucking suffer through demos and bullshit anymore. Wow, you were delusional. I was right. Well, (laughs) yeah. But you were going to get raped 12 times along the way. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's it's fine. I had a lot of fun, though. Um, But, yeah, yeah, that's sort of a naive sort of way of looking at it. And, you know, like, especially when you come from a small scene. It's like, oh, it's, you know, it's just a sort of warped ego type thing. Yeah. You know? Like, we're, we're like, way, you know, like, oh, we get to go to Europe and tour and stuff. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, how many people are you playing to? And, you know, how, where, what, is the, what is the actual, how far can this go? What's the ceiling? Yeah. You don't even think about that shit. Yeah. So Cryptic breaks up. You guys all fucking hated each other after this tour you did. I think, well, I, I think... <laughs> well, the third there was, record there was had its controversies, that. I remember. Yeah. Being a fan, you know, it came out and the production was so off and weird. And then I heard the record was rushed. Could you explain what happened with that record? Yeah, yeah we, um, we had no idea what the fuck we were doing. <laughs> and I, mean, I, think it, I think it was really that simple. The first and two sound great, though. Yeah, I mean, Bill, Bill Matoyer did a great job. And he was a fun dude to work with. 
And I mean, but we were, I mean, but we were young. Like we had, you know, it wasn't like we had anyone guiding us. Like we right. was no manager. Like we were teenagers in high school, like yeah. living at home. Like we were idiots. And like, at, <laughs> and you're at, learning on the fly. And, and we should be. Like there was no, there was no reason why we should have any sense of responsibility. Absolutely. It, you know, yeah. totally. And, and it would um, take a really special kid that age yeah. to, to, to be that driven yeah. and mature and focused. No, yeah. no way. And we yeah. were none of those things. And, and, uh, and, and, um, but so we got, like a pretty good budget to make that record and we spent it all on equipment and then just what we had left we just made a record with and it was like some studio that was ter terrible and scott forgot how to play drums in the studio while making it and like <laughs> like yeah he's like i don't know my 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 hand and my foot aren't connecting and like it was just like it was a weird was slago was Slagle overseeing? Because I just read his book, and and I wanted him to have have him on this podcast. I know you had had him on yours. He was your first guest. Yep, right? yep. Yeah, Um And he uh, he's an awesome, fun guy to talk to. Oh, amazing! Like, and we're yeah, like yeah. knowledgeable about Metal Blade to the point that it's kind of fucking scary. Yeah. I mean, his catalog's like the template of my metal life. Of course. My favorite record Mine ever too. on Metal Blade yeah. is something yeah. he doesn't even remember putting out. Yeah. Anyway, but like he, uh, um, I know that he oversaw a lot of the stuff with Bill. Yeah, those recordings. What what was up with the third record that that wasn't done with Bill and that I don't I don't really remember what it how it all went down. Other than like I said, we had no one really guiding the ship, and and uh, I think that we just thought we could do it ourselves, and we had all the songs written, and um, I don't recall there being much like tension or anything. It was just kind of like we just did it that way. Now the interesting thing about that record is, I think the songs were good. The but, songs but, are great, but, but the and they were a little longer and a little yeah. more technical, so to hear them more raw and primal was so weird as a combination. Yeah. But, but the execution, obviously, was horrendous. And, but what was interesting is, is it's like those happy accidents whenever, like, I mean, I think the whole band was almost a happy accident of just <laughs> how, how much the brand resonates even still to this day. It yeah. is a great name. And, yeah, and, um, <laughs> and, and just, but people come up to me and sing you know, low life or money talks. Like they, they, they all know Man. the lyrics to money talks yep. and, and even to this day and stuff. So, but just the fact that in my opinion, like as a musician, I look back and I go, man, I just feel like attitude adjustment as an example, right. I thought was such a better band. Like they were a great band. Yeah. And, and, but yet here cryptic slaughter is many, you know, 30 plus years later and still resonates with a lot of people. And whereas attitude adjustment and say Wehrmacht or whatever is almost forgotten in a lot of ways. Yeah, in comparison. I think Wehrmacht's played here like three times. Yeah. It is interesting because if you grew up in your R age, I'm the same age and we all came up together. You, you lump those bands together and they're all great. Yeah. But uh, I think Cryptic Slaughter means more to the average person. I think that the younger generations, Cryptic Slaughter, that the, the younger kids found Cryptic Slaughter more than those bands. Yeah. You drop the names Wehrmacht and Attitude Adjustment to some kids, and now they're going to have no clue, but they all know mm. who Cryptic Slaughter is. Right, and, I, and, and the thing of it is, I don't know why that is. We, it wasn't like we sat down and made a plan. Like we, were just, like, we were just doing what we were doing, right? So with that record, that third record, as horrendous and everything about it that it is, I remember see, it was like, it was one of the European metal magazines. I don't remember which one, but they gave it a super high review and talked about how genius it was because we purposely made it sound terrible. Oh, they thought it was calculated. Like vintage. And I was like, okay, I'm going to roll with that. I'm going <laughs> to think that that's totally cool that they're seeing something that we didn't see. And then, I don't know if you guys know this, but the Refused, The Shape of Punk to Come, that yeah. album, in the liner notes, it talks about the innovation that that record 
influence them. No way. Uh, I got to go back and look at that. Yeah. That's really funny. And so that I was like blown in between all the away. in between all the bullshit fucking anti-capitalism stuff. They, they really Yeah, I was totally blown away that Sorry, they that they <laughs> that they acknowledge that record as an innovative moment in heavy metal history. And especially that record of all three. Right. You know? Yeah, that inspired them behind, you know, the shape of punk to come. There must the have record been, that you you're cringing like, "Oh, it doesn't represent the songs right." Is yeah. the one that yeah, but I bet you, I bet you yeah. a little bit it had to do with something marketing-wise in Europe that went better than yeah. here. So like they they heard that record. Well, that might have been the first is, one though? they heard. They have yeah. a yeah. very raw, unhinged energy, and even though the, that record in execution lacks, the energy on that record's explosive. Yeah, and I mean, and that that pops out. Yeah, and you know, half of the hardcore crossover thing then was energy for sure. For sure, and that record. Because it's not polished, has so much energy. Yeah, you know. I mean, all those. I mean, if you, I, I, you know, to someone that that doesn't know, like the Misfits or or, or or Black Flag, for instance, like for instance, like Zach cannot listen to Black Flag and appreciate it for what it is because he's a technical guitar player right. that likes. Eddie he's Van he's Halen, speaking of Zach Wilde, and, by and the way. He can't. And what Greg is yeah. doing is foreign. Right. Like he's like he's like he doesn't he doesn't even know a scale. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this yep. is what Zach listening to it. He's yep. like, I, Greg Ginn doesn't even know how to play guitar. Like, <laughs> and he can't rap it. But what attracted us to that was the raw yep. energy. Yeah. And, and that's what made those things where you can listen beyond the fact that they didn't even master their records. Exactly. Well, that's, you I know, mean, that's the like, difference. That's you can hear it. through. I mean, because <laughs> yeah. I was getting, when you, you talked about tape trading, mm. you know, when you're tape trading rehearsal tapes from thir- like, you know, you're getting a 50th generation copy of a rehearsal of like a blazing hardcore band. Mm-hmm. You could, you have to have like special ears to hear that. Yeah. And you know, we came up with that stuff. So we hear through the, in, the imperfections and we hear what's happening and we enjoy the raw energy of it. Yeah. Where other people point those things out and they can't get past it. Well, yeah. I, think, I think there's a distinct difference between uh, hardcore punk upbringing and a metal upbringing and your background and if you're listening to like i mean that that was kind of like but the thing that with the time that cryptic slaughter was around that whole thing was sort of just thrown all together like the thrash records didn't sound great but they were technically proficient and and and, you know like and like the drummer would be a little sloppy here the guitar player would be a little sloppy there i I feel like the the line i mean we we know we've talked about this a million times on here depending on who we have on but like the we were going to see shows here in New York that were like, you know, Nuclear Assault, Leeway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they were just mixing. Everything was mixing up. Mm-hmm. And so for us on the East Coast, it wasn't really that weird, honestly. I mean, you know. No, I, I, but that's once you. But you Nuclear know, Assault, Nuclear Assault metal is a crossover kids. band. But. We all started as metal kids. You're listening to the most technical, perfectly produced stuff. And going back to like Zach's thing, you're almost going backwards. If you go from Rush Hemispheres and Number of the Beast to Agnostic Front Victim in Pain, you're going backwards. I did that. Yeah, we all did that. <laughs> we yeah. all did that. Yeah. That's the, that's the progression and it's like a de-evolution. But with it is also a growth to hear and understand things that people that don't leave that little perfect bubble that they don't understand. Yeah, but also as a musician, the, like in the reality when you're a kid, you're like, I can't play Rush Hemispheres. No, I can't play no. Iron Maiden. I can but play I can figure Victim out this Pain. Yeah, I can figure all that stuff out like in, in a rudimentary way. And it's a great intro to learning how to play and <laughs> being able to create songs which build your confidence and then going from there. Yeah. Because eventually, as you know, all those guys, too, they all became better players. And they all started crossing over it, into doing shit like, that was different. And, and that's really, like, I always said, like, you know, 
like the more like they were lucky to have those germination periods and then all of a sudden i mean a lot of people didn't like the later like af records or late 80s chromags and shit like that but like but they learned how to write they learned how to write they learned how to play better and production that, better so, gear the whole sometimes thing. that can be detrimental Mm-hmm. It can but be going but, back to what know. he said about Zach and Greg Ginn is fascinating because in an interview with Rollins recently, he said Greg Ginn practiced eight hours a day and was the best guitar player he ever played with in his life. Right. And he's playing. Rollins with says now. a lot of things. Yeah, but yeah. well, wait, listen. Here's the point. It's because Greg Ginn was going out of his way to not follow Zach's path, and in their own way, they're both the best at what they do. It's just two different planets. Of course, Zach is yeah. the master of what he's been. The, the road he followed, and Greg Ginn in paving his own road is the absolute genius in that because yeah. he created a path that didn't even exist before. But they probably, Greg Ginn probably thinks Zach playing sucks and vice versa because they just can't meet, they can't see things through each other's eyes. They don't live on the same planet. Yeah, and, and as fans, I listen to both and I'm like, they're both fucking phenomenal. Did Greg Ginn ever exactly. do a pinch harmonic? Exactly. No. <laughs> no. no. And it's like, because Zach does a lot of them. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's fascinating. It. It's just fascinating. And, uh, you know, growing up a metal kid and then getting into the hardcore punk and experimental music, I felt like it was the perfect thing for me because it, it taught me the perfect proper way. And then it taught me how to stretch that or break it or even destroy it and create new music. Mm-hmm. And I think that leaves possible, the possibilities to be endless. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about growing up when we did, it's kind of like what you just touched on was that in the in the mid 80s there was this you know there was this thing that punk rock gave to us and skateboarding gave to us is the the possibility that oh we can do this too right totally. it's like like you listen to you know rush and you go like wow I, that's beyond you know that's beyond understanding like I, this, yeah, the, I love the, it but i can't these, these guys it. are these guys are aliens yeah. <laughs> you know it doesn't even make sense and then with skateboarding you know you watch these guys on these ramps or in these pools like skating vert or whatever it's like man like that's like I will kill myself. Like that's 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 insanity. Like you guys are aliens. Also, that you can do that. <laughs> so whenever, whenever punk rock came to be, and you listen to that, and you go, oh, but I can do that. Exactly. Right. I can do that. I can be included in this conversation. And then whenever Lance Mountain brought in street skating in that Bones Brigade video, you're like that. Like it. Our our world was completely blown wide open. It's like we can street skate and we can be in a punk rock band, and that's all we did. Right. We would like being in high school. The only thing I was waiting to do was get on my skateboard and skateboard to rehearsal and play in Scott's garage and then skateboard to the bus to go home. And then after rehearsal, we would skateboard in the street and like, you know, we would do tricks off the curb and whatever. <laughs> but that was and we would watch Bones Brigade videos and, yep. and listen to stuff. That's all my friends. Yeah. I didn't skate, but all my friends. Did. Yeah. And listen- was your whole band skate punks? No, no, it was mainly. It was mainly uh, me and Scott, and then Bill, kind of early on. But then he was a he was a he was a soccer guy. Like Bill was a soccer. Player. Oh, that's interesting. Like, yeah, like he was like really like professional. Like I remember like there was some big soccer tournament that he had to do, um, and he couldn't do this Phoenix Las Vegas little run that we did. So I sang and played bass on those shows. Oh he, shit! Yeah. Oh shit! <laughs> was that the first time you ever sang before? Like lead? Uh, yep. And it was funny too because there's like hard oh. songs to fucking Because right, I was like, oh, I'll just do it or whatever. And, and in the hindsight, I'm like, how the fuck did I do that? <laughs> yeah, those songs, like, I those I, vocals I are a million like, miles an I hour. I couldn't, if you said right now, I'm going to give you a month to rehearse singing and playing <laughs> bass cryptic slaughter songs, I couldn't, I would need like a year. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. I mean, I was singing, I was singing in shitty hardcore bands then and I used to try and keep up with him. 
I'm like, hold. You know, everyone says pay to come is fast. Yeah. Bad brains, all these other songs. But when I got the Cryptic Slaughter record and the early DRI, I was like, this is triple the speed. And people have no idea how difficult it is. And you're yeah. playing bass underneath it, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I would need 10 years. Yeah, I, we, think, I think it was just because we were young and naive and just didn't know any better and just like, let's just play fast. And you were hyped up. You were just, and we were hyped up and we were young and you know what I mean? Like we had energy and, you know, we weren't drinking or anything yeah. yet. And you're like, not trying you know, to lock into a pocket. You're just exploding. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Were you guys aware of like the crossover thing? Like that, that you were called crossover? That you, were you aware of DRI? Were you aware like, did you, you know, know the XL guys? It's, like, it's an interesting perspective um, that you know, crossover wasn't really a label. Like, it's like no one woke up and goes, oh, man, you know what we're going to be? We're going to be a crossover exactly. band. Like, I want to be a crossover Before band. Right, the, album, like, yeah, uh, the term barely like, existed. It, and, and, and Blast Beat, like, Blast Beat, the term Blast Beat didn't exist. You know, yep. moshing in the West Coast didn't exist as a term. Right. You know, awkward all, all this, Yeah, and all this, and all this, and all this stuff. And, and um, but yeah, Blast Beat, if you look up, like, there's, there's a, like an internal heavy metal debate of who invented the blast beat. Was it Cryptic Slaughter or Napalm Death? Right. And there's people that debate like time-wise, like who put out what record yep. when and da 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 or whatever. It doesn't really matter. But the point of it is, is we weren't trying to invent something. We were just playing just, fast. We were just being ourselves. And, you know, and, and for us, like lyrically, it was a little bit politically tinged as opposed to, you know, telling dungeons and dragon stories or you know whatever like silly anthrax lyrics like it just that's what kind of separated us and made us unique even though we never sat down and go how are we going to be unique it was just kind of like bill brought in this scott brought in this les brought in this and just kind of all became this thing that was unique um but we didn't we knew DRI, we knew COC because we were on the same label. Oh, COC, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And we had we had done shows together, and it was and there was like a band called Beyond Possession in Canada. Great yeah, band. another band called Raw Power. Italy. Um, the mentors were on the label. Yeah, you know, um, it was pretty diverse. And then of course, because we were on like a subsidiary of Metal Blade called Death, Death Records yeah. that had all that stuff. That was like the punkier stuff. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that was the that was the categorized of like, you know, because that was the time too that. Only certain bands you could be a long hair at the show, yeah. like and because there was like at a Motorhead show or at a Slayer. We show. We could have a complete other podcast about that. That could be yeah. two hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I used to go to CB's every week with long hair and think mm. I was gonna die. Yeah, no, oh, one no had of hair course. Past their ears. No, of course. And like, I know you knew what that was like. Yeah, like as a Hesher going to a Bad Brain show, like Terrifying. you could potentially be killed. Yeah, no doubt. You know, and um, but you could go to a Motorhead show. Hesher or Punker, and it was coexistence. What about Slayer at the time? Slayer, totally coexistence. Yep. Okay. Punkers and, and Heshers, like, totally fine to be in the same place. No issues, ever. It's funny, because I used to go to those shows. Um, the bands that would be like Cryptic Slaughter and DRI, or when, like, DRI would come through, I would go with, I'd have long hair, my other friend would have a mohawk, and the other guy would be a skinhead. So yeah. we had all three subcultures yep. that were, in theory, going to go here and kill each other. But when you're from a little town, you're boys and yeah. it's like you don't even understand those divisions until you enter that scene mm-hmm. and then when we i remember the first time we started going to shows and we were seeing those bands we were like we watched those people kill each other yeah and we were best friends we were like all outsiders from a little town yeah. a skinhead a punk and like a crossover dude and it, it was crazy and like you said it's like the only safe places were things like motorhead and slayer but um when they were mixed bills here at least if exodus played with like a hardcore band, it was a bloodbath. Oh, yeah. Really bad. Yeah. We really always scary. we always hearken back to the Felt Forum Slayer show. Well, you saw Slayer in smaller clubs I saw Slayer than in I club did, but, days, but, yeah. 
with the, the South of Heaven tour, the Fell Forum show, with the they pulled all the cushions out, and it was like, oh, they I did, was they, just, yeah, they did that in at the uh, L.A. Sports Arena. Too. Okay, yeah, they so, did yeah. It there too. Yeah, and they, like fucking Tom Reyes is like, listen, could everybody stop because we can't play any place anymore? So, right? Yeah. No, because in the early days of Slayer, because I've been seeing them since Show No Mercy. I was telling Slagle this oh, is wow, like the awesome. first oh, nice. the first time I saw Slayer. Me and my buddy snuck out of the house, took the bus up to the Roxy, and it was Slayer was first of four. Right, so Slayer was first, then it was Savage Grace, and then it was, wow. it was Betsy Bitch, her yeah. band Bitch, and then Pandemonium was the headliner. And I was telling Slagle this. That's a Metal Blade show. It was, all the it way. was a metal, I, go, I go, it must have been a Metal Blade showcase. And he goes, he's like, I don't know why Pandemonium was headlining. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. But that's but but that's what but but anyway. So seeing that you know I've been seeing them for that long. And in the early days, I don't know who promoted what, because it seems like it would have been such a more obvious thing, but every, any band that opened for Slayer for like the first decade of their career got annihilated. Yep. The one thing that, we, that the crowd all had in common is get the fucking opening band off stage as soon as possible. And, every, and I don't even know who they were, but it was up until I think Mastodon was the first band that opened for Slayer that didn't get booed off stage that I saw. The only band I saw well, that's was a long Sick, time. Of it all, yeah. Sick of It All opened here, and since it was New York, I don't know how the rest of their tour went, but here they were safe because yeah. their people were here. Yeah. But it's the same thing. My, the first time my best friend saw Slayer, Hollow's Eve opened, who are Metal Blade, who I loved, yep. and this, they were just chanting Slayer during the set, and he totally. said, fuck you. They pulled the singer and beat him up. Yeah, they <laughs> that was what would happen. They pulled him yeah. out, off the stage and beat the shit out of him. Yeah, and we, and, but yeah, but you're right, because... Slayer couldn't play the same place twice, right? Because it the, it would get destroyed. Yeah. And I remember that they played the Palladium, and it was Exodus, you know, Bonded by Blood. Slayer was on um, uh, Hello Waits. Hello Waits, and Venom was at war with Satan. That was the that was the <laughs> bill at the Palladium. Fucking insane! Like yeah. my favorite show <laughs> I've ever been to ever. And when Slayer was playing, they the kids destroyed the bathrooms. Took the fucking ripped the urinals out of the fucking wall. It's just like it was just insanity. And like you know, and then they played the sports arena years later. Everyone took the cushions out. It was yeah. like frisbees around the whole place. And it's like same thing. He's like, guys, like we cannot, we we cannot do this. And the same thing would happen in suicidal shows. They could never play the same yeah. place twice in L.A. They got, the West they got Coast, banned. From I always LA. heard yeah. the horror stories when they came here. Was, was there not a gang? Was there a gang related thing with all that? Or yeah, but it was just because the clubs were getting destroyed. Right. You know, and um, but yeah, but there was there was punk rock gangs. There was the the lads, the which lads. was the, the L A Death Squad, and then there was the suicidal right. you know contingent, and um, you know there was a few. Which like in hindsight, in L A, whenever you actually have real gangs, to have like punk rock gang to where their agenda is just to go to punk rock shows and like beat up heshers, like <laughs> is is funny. Whenever you're like in very close proximity to guys that do drive by shootings and sell drugs for a living, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just like like it seems very minor league. Yes, without a doubt, it's yeah. laughable. <laughs> you know, <laughs> not that they're not dangerous. Yeah, yeah, but it's like totally. comparatively, it's a joke. yes, yes. Yeah. Wow, I mean, yeah, I th this is definitely something we love to do on this podcast is talk about what the best show you ever saw was and. Uh, Thank, so is that you your favorite show? Sharing, of all sharing that, that lineup is insane. Insane, like <laughs> Bailoff, you know, yeah. and and, and uh, you know, it was the the high. It was just like everything was just so hot then. And Venom wouldn't make it over to the states very often. Yeah, no, you know, and that was the you know that Mantis. was the ultimate revenge video that ended up coming out in New York. Yes. But Venom, but Mantis couldn't make it over, and they had a different they lineup. It in, yeah. yeah, but uh, that was the infamous video 
of the that uh, combat put out was Slayer, Exodus, and Venom. Yeah, and it was that tour, Bonded yeah. by Blood, and yeah. I mean, yeah. it was that was that was my favorite show ever, for sure. Just because you got to figure it, the time. Yeah, I mean, like if you did, you know, Exodus, you know, Venom and Slayer now, it's a lot. Which Venom? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's first Venom thing. Ink or what, yeah. whatever. I mean, yeah. it's like it's a lot less exciting. We we yeah. lean we lean towards Venom Ink of that, and it was <laughs> yes. like it was so organic and new and fresh, yeah. and the, it's when the crowd was just. I mean, that was a that, that like two or three year period was really special because it was so new and fresh, and there was no one sitting there with their arms folded. Everyone was no. caught up in it. It was chaos the second you walked in the club. Yeah, it was a really exciting time. Yeah, it was new and it was and it was dangerous too, but in an exciting way. Yeah, and I think that was too the first time that anyone ever saw like because it was such a big place. You know, Palladium is like forty five hundred capacity yeah. place, right? And so, and you know, before leading up to this, you know, you're playing like clubs you know theaters or whatever you have one little circle slam pit this was the first time that you saw like the three yeah. in one yep. in one and you're just like what the fuck is so, going on you know I, the only electric. time i ever saw videos of things that big was i watched dead kennedy's videos and i'd see like 200 people circle pit and i'm yeah. like whoa la is crazy yeah. you know the clubs weren't even big enough here for that no and the bands weren't big enough like yeah. you're saying so like when it reached that next level, the energy was just explosive. Yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was a, you know, I'm not trying to sound like the old guy. It was way better back in the day. Oh, I yeah, mean, like, yeah. wasn't, it's not, it's not. Don't worry, we'll do that for you. That. Yeah, it's not, it's not that. I'm just saying that, but I actually got to experience a time that whenever all this stuff that we yeah. love and, you know, admire now, that I was there at the time that it was just starting to ignite. Well, that's the, that's the special thing. Everything from tape trading to it coming from the smallest of clubs to people not even being career-minded, it was so organic, new, and fresh that it, it's not a bad or better or worse. It was just exciting and it was a road unpaved and mm -hmm. it was being there from the jump like that was, you know, that it's sacred if you lived it because it, it changed your life, you know? Yeah. It definitely, it, it definitely did. Yeah. You know, I don't think sure. any of us would be here if it wasn't for that then. Agreed. You know? 100%. 100%. So speaking of which, so Cryptic Slaughter's broken up. You finished with high school. Yeah. What's next? I moved to Hollywood to chase the rock and roll dream. Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, bounced around a few different things, ended up um, uh, getting in a band with some guys. We ended up getting, uh, it was sort of, it was like the 90s Los Angeles tale of club, you know, L.A. club scene. All the A&R guys are sniffing around, yeah. you know, a Rage Against the Machine, a Tool, a Jane's Addiction. You know, right. these things are getting pulled out of L.A. clubs. Yeah. And so it was a hot, you know, it was a hot spot for bands to get signed and uh we got signed you know this band i was in we got signed is that drown um, yeah uh michael alago yeah it was drown okay so michael alago signed us who we you just know, did an we just interviewed him yeah friend of ours yeah. <laughs> perfect great guy yeah so alago signed us to he didn't mention him yeah <laughs> no well, i would have played him on gimme radio yeah. oh that's right it's, it's, <laughs> we could have dropped your band oh. so so he so he um he signed us in, in, for anyone that doesn't know, he signed Metallica and he signed White Zombie and, you know, that's his thing. And he's got a show on Netflix or a movie, uh, a, a documentary. Who the fuck is that guy? Yeah. So if you, if you want to know about Michael, he's an awesome dude. Um, and he signed us um, and to Electra Records he was working at at the time. And then when we were managed by Walter O'Brien, who was managing Pantera at the time, you know, at their height. And then his partner was Andy Gould, who was managing White Zombie at the time. So we thought we were hot shit. Like the the Metallica guy signed us, and we have Pantera and White Zombie's manager. So and who was in Drown? Was it anybody? It was. It was well. It was no one that you would know now. Okay. Um, the interesting 
thing is that the guitar player, uh, his name is Joe Bashara, and he's gone on to score some of the biggest horror movies of, of oh, all cool. time. Awesome. Yeah. Like, oh wow. So he's a real musician. Yeah. All, yes. Exactly. He's <laughs> gotcha. like he, he's um, uh, he, all the Conjuring movies, um, all the uh, what is the Abigail and and um, whatever that whole franchise is or awesome, whatever. Man. Yeah. But Killer. yeah, Annabelle. Like he's he's locked into horror movie and score. And that's what he's been God. doing yeah, post-Drown? Yeah, yeah, I mean, because that was, even in Drown, like, that's all he wanted to do was, like, score horror movies. Like, that's his dream. And um, and now he's crushing it. Like, of, of all the guys that I came up with, he's the most successful, you know, yeah. Yeah. doing what he wants to do. Awesome. And um, so, um, but, yeah, but we got we got a deal, and we had um, uh, Dave Ogilvy, who was Skinny Puppy's producer, because it was, like, an industrial-type thing mm-hmm. you know we were doing and um and spent i don't know upwards of half a million dollars making the record of course you know, did in, the 90s. in the 90s yep. and then you put it out there and it doesn't stick and then you get dropped six months later was it being marketed to like a nine inch nails ministry kind of a crowd i i don't really or was it a little more alternative i don't i think it was more alternative you know i mean maybe more like white zombie more of like the sort of the metal crossover industrial mm-hmm. stuff um, a little more guitar based yeah and uh, oh here's a funny story so I remember we were in we were doing a show at the Limelight in New York and um, we were doing a photo shoot for some magazine I forgot what the magazine was I think it was like a guitar magazine and the magazine only knew that the band was called Drown and they didn't know anything about us and they showed up with these garbage bags of props for the photo shoot right and they were fucking orange life vests because the band was drowned so they wanted to save us from drowning and that and we were like go fuck yourself like we're like we're like a hardcore like you know industrial yeah. rock Clueless. metal band or whatever like fuck off we're not doing that but so but <laughs> totally that was, that was like someone in in the you know what in 93 these magazines had creative directors and this uh, yeah, is the kind of bullshit a, they I, would come up with in my in my geffen days i did a i did a acoustic set at a bennigan's in syracuse yeah so yeah yeah i know the feeling yeah yeah, yeah. brutal <laughs> but uh but so yeah so we so we spent a bunch of money and we did a couple of shows with white zombie um, which did I you bl- play Limelight with White Zombie? No, because they used to play there a lot. That's why, and I used to be at all those shows, and I was like, I wonder I if I who we did play with. That might have been like a prong tour or something. I don't remember. I don't remember what. I mean, it might have even been like. So basically, a every tour band you toured with, you wound up playing in. Well, and I think that that actually had a lot to do with it. To yeah. be honest, like I feel like because we did those couple of shows with White Zombie, and then we toured, drowned, toured with Prong and Clutch. I feel like because of that, I got on those people's radars. Right. And, and because we were managed by the guys that managed White Zombie and Pantera. So when Rob Zombie's putting a solo band together and he's looking for somebody, you know, I'm kind of... Your name I'm, comes I'm, up. I'm, I'm in the vicinity. You're in the mix. Yeah. And then Prong, like, you know, um, Raven couldn't do the tour for whatever reason. And because we were recently managed by the same management company, because they were managing Prong and The Obsessed as well... Um, you know, it's kind of like I'm in the vicinity. I just toured with, you know, I just yep. toured with them and and uh, and stuff. So it's kind of like, oh, who who should we get? Oh, this is the guy in the vicinity. And then if you kind of analyze, you know, like um, 
backwards look at my you know career like a uh, reverse engineer my career it was because of visibility like I got an Ozzy's band because I was in Rob Zombie's band and Rob Zombie did four tours with Ozzy and so right. whenever they're looking for a guy like who do we look at oh the guy that's well, and you were good and you weren't a dick and I, so, yeah, yeah I mean so. I think that there's th but those are those are the those are the simple things that you people find out later of course yeah. you know you know but you figure oh if he's played but in no one's gonna recommend bands. you if you're a fucking total nightmare hell no so, man you know no, no way it's not gonna happen no. oh, I mean that's it's super interesting so how did Danzig happen then Danzig happened. How did that happen? Was Todd Youth in the band at that point? No. The well, the, what's interesting is the Danzig band. Whenever I was in it, as short as it was, it was me who went on to join Rob Zombie. It was Joey Castillo who went to join Queens of the Stone Age, and then it was Dave Kushner who went on to join Velvet Revolver. So that who, was the band. Who was the guy who put that together? Because he should be hired for something. <laughs> yeah, that guy knows how he to probably pick already, people. He probably yeah, already was. I mean, <laughs> that's good handpicking. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember how that all kind of went down. Um, I think it was just like, you know, once again, it was just being in proximity to stuff. And, and prong happened first. And then... I don't, I, you know, to be honest, I don't, I don't remember, but Joey, Joey, I think was, he was in the band and I think he, he was friends with Dave and I think he kind of cherry picked the, who he the, thought would fit. Yeah. Yeah. You know yeah. where shit like that doesn't happen? New York. Interesting. It's, it, that's such an LA thing. Yeah. It's such an LA thing. I, I look, I, you see all Here the people. Here you run like, into someone at a bar and you go, oh, you want to play? Well, no. And, it's more and, like, hand, it's not. And even in talking about the 80s scene and like, oh, the, the hardcore and punk and all that shit, like so many of those people kind of went on to do other shit. Whereas in a New York, it didn't really. I mean, we had our we had our helmet and quicksand, mm -hmm. but you know, a helmet was bigger than quicksand. But like, uh, you know, like you think about like the people who in those bands who went on to do things. You know, we have Chris Trainer, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, who I've known since he was sixteen, um, and uh, yeah, like it's it's weird. Like it's such an LA thing. Samantha Maloney. Um, oh yeah, shit. Yeah. So, uh, but. Like besides that, it's it's just weird to me. Like when when I lived out in L.A., I was just like I, I had I hated it so much. I fucking hated it. But I was like, I feel like I should stay here because I'll get more work. Right. You know, like things will. You know, I had enough people who respected me out there that like I would get songwriting work or do this, which is really hard. But you know, it was just like as soon as I came back to New York, it was like, fuck you. Like you just, it's again, a visibility. I fully like, believe that I got all the gigs that I got because I was based in Los Angeles. Yeah. And uh, all the bands were based out of there and just the convenience of it. Like, I don't think that, you know, because this was before social media. They didn't have to yeah, pay no. for fucking plane tickets. It's like a, a, it's a way of networking without even Correct. networking. Correct. And the, the thing is that, you know, if people, if you go from band to band and you're a good player and you have a good rep, more people say positive things. You're on everyone's radar, yeah. and everyone has good experiences with you. It just leads to the next thing. Totally, and, 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 and it's organic, you know. Yeah. And out there, the the career, the people who are like fucking just career careering constantly is really obvious. You know what I mean? So yeah. like that's you know that's not necessarily where you want to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, not jumping it's on a, trends yeah. and kind of staying true is also. Admirable well, that was too. such a thing in the 90s. Because in the you know, 90s, was like, everyone was like just changing their suits. It was like a big yeah, like, chameleon. Yeah, like, hey, we started as a ska band, and now we play Nine Inch Nails style industrial. Well, so in Nirvana. <laughs> Nirvana was when, you know, the landscape got destroyed. Yeah. And then every six months or a year, it was changing, and then you see these clowns changing with it every year, and yep. it's like, you know, you just see through these people. Until they're, yeah. they have a hit, and they're in lit. Yeah. So when the Rob, <laughs> going to the Rob Zombie days, how much part were you with the writing, or was he kind of just like... No. Creating the full song, or how was it? No, I inside mean, the band. It was. 
I mean, once again, it was kind of interesting in that, like, because I was in that, you know, circumference of people, like, I met with him for lunch, and he was like, yeah, I'm just, you know, like, I'm just making sure that you're, you know, you're down to, like, do whatever, like, fucking blow fire and spit blood and fucking do jumping jacks on stage, whatever. <laughs> and change and, your name. That's when Blasco yeah, came yeah, about, right? Yeah, of course. And and I was like, yeah, dude, like, I work at a clothing store. Like, I'm fucking, like whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm I would down. much I would much rather play music. It's fine. And he's like, I don't, you know, it's a solo thing. Like, I'm not really sure, like, you know, what, what the deal is going to be. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And he's like, okay, cool. Let's go to the studio. And so I hopped in this car. I went to the studio and I played on Dragula. And like, that was that. But I had, but I had nothing, but I had nothing to do with writing. Or right. That, that's right. not, that's not even like, even if he said, I want you to write, I'd be like, that's probably a bad idea. You should probably hire someone that actually knows how to write. Cause that's not me. Like, I don't know. Right. I don't write songs. Right. You know what I mean? I'm but he not, didn't need I'm, that, so it was okay. No, definitely yeah. not. Yeah, I mean, he seemed like he has his own vision for He has sure. his vision, and then Scott Humphrey was, at the time, the producing the records, and he was very instrumental in kind of crafting sort of the, the bulk of the, the tracks themselves, and, and then Rob's the lyric melody guy, yeah. you know, and, and the visionary and stuff. So he but, had a system in place of songwriting. He just needed the solid bass player who's down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he just wanted, he just, he, I mean, really, he was just looking for a team player. He didn't, you know what I mean? He didn't want to, like, do auditions and any of that shit. He's like, he's like, fuck it, dude, you played in prong, it's fine. Like, whatever, I know. <laughs> he like, trusted I, you. I get it, or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the interesting thing, too, then, is that the, the management and stuff and, like, label was kind of cycle. Well, just so you know, like, you know, this probably isn't going to last much, you know, much longer. It's like, we're just kind of like, we're just kind of patting him on the, on the head a little bit and humoring him. Are you serious? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like they, they. That's interesting. Yeah. They, 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 they were like, oh, well, you know, cause White Zombie's going to get back together and we're just letting oh, him do this. Oh, they I thought see. it was a temporary oh, yeah, hiatus. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, okay. just, we're just going to let him do this thing to kind of get it out I would have thought that it would be the opposite where like the management and the label were like, hey, Rob, you're the star. You should quit these. That's really offs. interesting. That's what yeah. I assumed as well. And you know, I came up seeing White Zombie play for five bucks and shitty dives everywhere because they're yeah. from here. You know? Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I never looked at it as like a star thing, but we, I did assume that that the spotlight was on him. So it's really interesting that it was actually the total opposite. Yeah. No. And 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 you got to figure too, because I mean, I think if you're if you're if you're coming from the business perspective of it, you just go like, but White Zombie's already a multi-platinum successful band. Right. Like, right. Go, nobody going, in the music industry wants to work. Th- like, so. like <laughs> statistically speaking, going God solo forbid. from a successful band does not work out for most of It does guys. sound like career sure. suicide. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. On a business and, scale. Yeah. But and not when he did it. When no, he, but then that's the thing. Everything was open at that time. Yeah, but then... Yeah, he didn't lose a step. You know, but then Dragula hit and it's a triple platinum record and he's like, yep, I just called the band and told him White Zombie's over. And and that was like oh so the, the band tour. wasn't even done at that point no not oh, officially oh that's interesting too not officially yeah wow. so in the it was in the midst of the tour that he kind of made everybody eat their words you know Oof. that it wasn't wow. going to be a thing and you know and that so he and, and that and I'm sure that drove him like crazy because oh, he had yeah, to be of aware of the fact that they would just like you said pat him on the head like appeasing him yep waiting for it to all come around again yeah and he was like fuck you I'm yeah, gonna like, break through on my own yeah like oh that was fun okay cool can we get back to business now. Right, <laughs> you know. Wow. So how many? Uh, how long were you in prom for? For the one, it was like the Rude Awakening album yep. cycle. Um, were you on the record? No. Okay. No, because Raven was on the record, and Raven. I mean, Raven was really he was set to do it, but I think he threw his back out, or there was something that like pre- like prevented him from doing the tour. So they, I was basically just a hired gun, just to kind of fill in for him until he got back together. But the problem is, is that. 
in the midst of doing the tour, the band got dropped again. You know what I mean? Like the the, the, the yeah, album, they had a bunch of deals. Yeah, yeah. the album yeah. Didn't, the, the album didn't perform like the Snap Your Fingers, Snap Your Neck single. Yeah, because yeah, they were was, coming off that single. Yeah, so that was, the, and that was the label probably had high hopes. And and Rude Awakening didn't have a single that was the equivalent of that. Yeah. It's know? a great record, actually. Yeah. I, I think it's a great record. It's a very unique record. Yes. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's very it's different deep. than, I mean, again, got they layers. came up here. So, you know, yeah. we saw them from the earliest days. They were kind of like almost a crossover band in the beginning. Yeah, yeah totally. And this kept evolving. Yeah. And then, um, they never really fit into any. And no, Tommy, Tommy, unique. Tommy, like as a guitar player, was light years ahead. Yeah. Like he was like an innovator for what sure. A great a guitar riffs. player. Oh, you know? man. Yeah. He's such a unique. Two seconds in, I know it's him. He has a unique yep. style. And From sound. his old stuff to yeah. the new stuff. And his tones, just yep. everything. And, and riff writing, great. yeah. yeah. Um, and he's changed his style so much. You go back to his early records, to that. He always put new influences in, in a way that I always respected because it never seemed trendy. It just seemed like a guy evolving naturally. Mm -hmm. Yes. Never that, like, oh, this might, is hot. I'm going to put this in my That might have been to his detriment yeah. at the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I always say that about, like, when... Uh, I always harken back to like my big expensive record, the, the couple that I made. But like I was like, if I just gave into the new metal thing a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit, yeah. instead of fighting it, yeah. you know, I just if I just Still that one song in Drop <laughs> yeah. Z that fucking just went, <laughs> you know, yeah. like bullshit, whatever. But I, that's what was I great toured about with Corn a lot. So Prong <laughs> actually brought some of those people in without even. Putting that sound they in did, their yeah, sound. They did. Because they had so much groove. Mm -hmm. Right. Prong had groove everywhere. Because yeah. Ted, he, Ted was a monster. Oh, drummer. what a great yeah. drummer. And I've seen him from every band because he was in Swans. He's mm -hmm. been around forever, uh, too. I saw him play for Unsane, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And Godflesh. He played uh, Unsane? Yeah. He rules. I didn't know that. Yeah. He was in Godflesh. He was yep, in Unsane. Yep. I mean, he was in Swans. He was in Fetus. I mean, he's done everything. Yeah. He's yeah. just been around for Pretty sure he played in Unsane. The weird show I saw, it was like Seaweed. I don't remember him in Anti Scene. Did he Unsane. fill in when the first drummer died? Yes. Before Vinny? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty. Uh, I'm, that makes I'm, sense. I'm 99% sure I could be. But I Swan's Fetus and Godflesh is like improv. Yeah, well, I mean. Yeah. Just say Swan's. And, and then Ted Park, he's just an incredible drummer. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it's, that's a real interesting time to be in prong, though, because they're coming off a hit and they've got a big label behind them and they put out a great record, but. It's not really a commercial record. No. And it doesn't have like a uh, snap your fingers, snap your neck type no. obvious song that no. you can push. No. And, um, but what was cool about that time period, I mean, other than playing with Tommy and Ted, was, was um, it was the first time that I ever did a European festival. Like it was, ever oh, it was right. the first time that I was ever outside oh, of the cool, U.S. Man playing music you know and it was like you Rob know, Zombie didn't oh it was before that it was before. that's right because yeah. it's that and, right. um, and so to go over there and just play in front of a What'd sea you play? of people what fest was it like I don't even remember I remember there was like a Pukul Pop and and um, I don't even remember which ones yeah. they were and they were big over there right Prong yeah I mean yeah. because like, you know Europe is especially at that time maybe even now but um, you know it's so much more welcoming that kind of stuff and especially yeah. whenever you have a sea of whatever 25,000 people or whatever yeah. they're just up for it doesn't even fucking matter what it is yeah. Yeah. they're like, just psyched just play yeah. something they can bounce around to yeah and so that was the first time I ever did that which was then like if I wasn't already committed to selling my soul for rock and roll like that was like I was like this is fucking awesome I have that was the game changer I have to do this forever <laughs> you yeah. know it doesn't matter like totally. I have to do this forever but uh, during the cycle the band ended up getting dropped from Epic, I think that they were on. And, mm -hmm. and, um, so, and so the tour support got pulled and whatever, tour band fucking everything, you know, kaput or whatever. So went home. And then, and then that's when the Danzig thing happened. Okay. Yeah. 
Wow. Oh, so that's, that's the it. timeline. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Did you have any long stretches where you were working at the clothing store? Yeah, I mean, because, well, I, I, I had two retail, well, I had the retail job clothing store, and then I worked at a bar called Bar Deluxe that was in Hollywood. Uh, I worked there, like, at nighttime. And, um, and so when I was, it's like I joke with people, like, when I was in Danzig, dude, I had fucking two jobs. Yeah. You know, because, I yeah. mean, my, my, my time in Danzig, I only did one show. Oh, okay. Yeah, even All though right. I was in the band for a while, and we, like, rehearsed a lot, and, you know, he would come in with riffs, and we'd try and make songs or whatever. What record was he working on at that point? Do you remember? I think it would have been, it was in between five and six. Okay. was when I was in there, or whatever, because I remember Black, for number five was Black Acid Devil, right? Yeah, that's the Yeah, one. and yeah. we played a song off of that or something. That, that uh, kind of sounds like your Aussie experience, because it didn't, like, the whole tour get canceled? Right. Yeah, well, well, see, I was like actually in Helmet with was Chris Trainer in yeah. yeah, so so but when I, when I was in Helmet, it was no, you wouldn't. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Wait, back up. Was, yeah. uh, now you're, you're talking about a lot of people I know. Yeah. The 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 uh, what year is this? Uh, mid. This had to be ninety six. So Stainer's still in. Well, here's the thing. Stainer wasn't. It was like Paige was in L A. Like solo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Was, I don't we're getting, we're I, getting, my timeline's all messed up. We're getting up, some consulting. Yeah. <laughs> we're getting my, my, my official so 2000, 2003? But, Is that what you're just saying? Because that's the year I toured with Helmet. Actually, oh, 2000, was it 2004? With Frank Bello and Joey Tempesta. Yeah, okay, so this was uh, right before that. So what happened is, is that Paige was in L.A., and he was putting together a new band, and the band was called Gandhi. Gandhi, right, yeah. And yeah, Gandhi yeah. was Paige, me, and Tempesta. Okay. And we did a couple of demos um, at uh, NRG Studios with Jay Baumgartner. And um, he shopped it around. And the response that he gave, and I may be making some of this up, but, I, I, but he shopped it around. And I think the response was, it's like, this is great, but can you just call it Helmet? Call it Helmet, yeah. Right. I think, <laughs> so I think we it, can I think it was, it yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was Jimmy Iovine who said that, actually, yeah. if I remember correctly. And, and so did they become Helmet songs? So, so yes. And those, and those songs Size are matters. on Size Matters. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, so we, and then he brought Chris back in. Right. And then we were working on songs, and we were in the studio making that record whenever, I believe that that's whenever I initially got the Aussie gig. And then I told Paige, and so I quit Helmet, and then they re-recorded all my, I think Chris re-recorded all my bass parts on the record, on that side. Oh, so you record. had the record recorded with yeah. your parts I, even. I was, was in the studio. You're I, taking I, your mechanicals away, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. Fuckers. So did yeah. he just copy what you did, in effect? And I, I don't remember. Yeah. I mean, I like that record. Like, he pulled a Sharon Osbourne on you. Yeah, he did. Motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I think that record actually jams. It yeah, does. I, I love it. Was, yeah. There's a couple yeah. of tunes. I did that. I, I toured with them for like a month and a half on that on that album cycle it was just them and, and my band and uh and we played like fucking the grog shop in cleveland oh, yeah. we did the troubadour we did two nights at troubadour in la mm. um but it was all like really small venues which yeah. was well no the best was fucking grumpy's in minneapolis yeah because that's owned by the guy from Amrep. Amrep, and like they always play that we did two nights and we couldn't fit our gear on stage because they wouldn't strike anything. Oh, so we played in the karaoke comedy room <laughs> next door. <laughs> where all of It was like playing a record store where all your gear has to be lined up behind you. Mm. It was fucking hysterical. And two, two weeks later, I was playing at the Staples Center or the Target Center. I don't know which one. It's a Target Center in Minneapolis where the stage was the size of the entire fucking venue. You know, yeah. it was just like, I was like, I'm on stage just trying to think about that. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to be playing at the Target Center in two weeks, so I should just 
Just, Grin and bear this. Yeah. It's okay. This is just the, the, this the is ups the and downs. They had yeah. so much fucking gear and like, and Joey's drum kit was massive and he's little, it was, it was like playing here, but some of the places were even smaller. And it was like fucking, I, I, it's when I learned how to jump up and down in one spot. Yeah. And still get to the microphone. Out of necessity. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. So, so I did that and I got the Aussie gig and then that's whenever he, um, it was for like a European tour and that's what I got hired for. And then that's when he got in that, Ozzy got in that motorcycle ATV accident. accident and, yeah. Oh, and that's right. his collarbone and stuff. So that tour got canceled. So it was an interesting time for, for me is that I had, you know, I was doing the helmet thing, but I quit to join Ozzy, but then didn't get the Ozzy gig. So there was, I was at, I was currently at, presently at that time out of a gig. Did and, they, um, did they, were you on retainer though? Did they at no, least no, pay no, you? No, no, no. Jeez. No. Oh, um, and, um, <laughs> but then I got like a, like a, uh, like a music business job at that time. And I did that for a couple of years. What, I mean, where did that come from? Yeah. Uh, it was a, a my friend Clint uh, who, um, he was running the place and he, um, he was in a band called for love, not Lisa that, I remember that drowned toured with. And, um, and he, he was running this like music business, like independent A&R company. Okay. And, um, and I ran into him at a club one night and I was, and he's like, yeah, if you need a job, let me know. And I go, ah, sure do. And he's like, oh, come, come in Monday. And then I worked there for a couple of years. And, um, yeah, and I, that kind of just, you know, filled the gap for a while until, you know, got back in, you know, Rob's band. And, oh, um, so you went back? Because Rob, Rob's band disbanded because he was going to be like, you know, the movie director. Martin Scorsese or something. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. more focused for a while on the movies, yeah, it yeah. seemed. Yeah. So and then, then you're back in Zombie, and then, and then the Aussie thing comes back into play? Yeah. So I was... It was like I was straddling the line there for a minute between both. Like we were making a record, and then I was then I would go to like London to do a one-off gig with Ozzy or whatever. Like we'd play for the Queen or like we was these weird random one-off. <laughs> Not gigs. tours, just random. Yeah, things. like random one-offs. Like and uh, and I did that for a while until it became an impossibility to do both. And um, and I told Rob and and um, but you know. Like, I feel like I did something that I feel like most people would never do in that. Like, most people that were in a band and got the Aussie gig would just be like, fuck you, I'm an Aussie's band now. Yeah. You yeah. know? And, like, see you later. it's the pinnacle. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I think most people would do that. Um, but what I did is I called my buddy, and I was like, what are you doing right now? And he's like, I don't, I'm, just, like, I'm just fucking hanging out. And I go, come to L.A., I'm going to show you all the Rob Zombie songs, and you're going to join the band. So, <laughs> so I... I met with Rob. That's and I cool. Go, you found your replacement for him. Yeah, you yes. did all the work for him. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I met with Rob and I go I go look, dude, this is what's happening. Um, I found my I got my replacement. He knows all the songs. He's ready to go. You won't miss me, or whatever. And he's like, okay, and that's what happened. And then for years, people would be like, man, that that zombie gig was great. Like literally, no, it, like no one knew that I was gone. Like. <laughs> It was fucking hilarious or whatever. And then, and then one of the first tours was uh, Ozzy Rob Zombie tour. And, and I remember like William Howe would, would be, be like, oh, dude, like double duty. You're crazy. And I was like, no, dude, I'm not in both bands. Like, <laughs> you know, it was like Matt, you know, to, to, Matt got the gig. He took my place. He's crushing it, you know, and he's still there to this day. You know? Awesome. Oh, cool, man. But yeah, but I just feel like. I just feel like at, given that circumstance, most people wouldn't do that. But that's the right way to go out. It's For sure. showing appreciation and sure. making that and not making his life, not throwing his world upside down. Yeah. Being like, well, it was also go. good. It was also good yeah. of him to trust you 
to like bring to. You obviously had a good relationship with him, where your word yeah. meant a lot, and yeah. you know, because yeah. he could have very well been like, I don't give a fuck who you want. I'm gonna, you know, I got I got some new fucking dude I want right. to bring in. Yeah, but he doesn't want to hassle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, no, the, so there were no bumps in the road this way. Yeah, it was like he could just keep doing his shit. Totally. totally. Um. So so it, obviously now you're in Aussie. Uh, we're mid two thousands, and like, is this where your relationship with Zach started to? Well, I knew Zach because um, because of all the Rob Zombie Ozzy tours that we did. So I, you know, it built okay. that relationship. Then um, and Zach, and we, was, and we Zach some, was a wild man at the time. Oh yeah, I mean, we did had, you did you ever party or were you like not to the the berserker level ten degree okay. that he was rolling? You know, yeah, <laughs> I couldn't keep up with that. You know, I mean, we we'd like tag in for like a minute. And just be like, okay, now get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Like, you know, like a couple beers or whatever, you know what I mean? Cause, but but we'd get, we would hit like Berserker level five, you know? And when it got there, we'd be like, okay, we're, you know, we're It was before you out. got put in a headlock and dragged to the strip club. Yeah, yeah gotcha. totally. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, uh, but then when it, so when I, when I joined the Aussie band, it was Zach, me and Mike Borden. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Adam, okay. you know, yeah. Adam is always there. Oh, Mike Borden um, must have been fun to play with. Yeah, totally. Killer. And Borden's Great he's, player. Dude, you've played with fucking He's such a beautiful sick guy. That's awesome, yeah. man. Mike Borden's a beautiful guy. Like, he's fucking awesome. But, but you know, Zach, and admittedly, he'll tell you, like, the, the berserker level 11 at that point, like, it was fucking out of control. Like, he, he was like, he able to play? Properly? Sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's actually. I never saw him have an off night. Yeah, it's actually remarkable. That he could be so shit faced. Did he and get on stage shit faced? Yeah. Like, I remember wow. one of my first gigs in the band. And keep in mind that, like, I'm super stoked. Like, this is like, I have reached the height yeah. of heavy metal hired gun bass player guy. Like, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, this is, I have maxed the fuck out. Like, right now, like, I started off here, oh, Cryptic Slaughter, my cute little cred band. And then, you know, then to go from Prong into Danzig and flirt with Helmet. And then, you know what I mean? And then one the, step the, zomb- the zombie. And then Ozzy. I was like, I've reached the tip of the mountain. You know, I've, I've maxed out. So I was just, like, super stoked to be there, you know? And so... Like one of the first shows, like Zach was so shit faced, he literally fell over on stage. Like, and it was like straight spinal tap. Like, dudes had to come out and like help him up and shit. And he's oh, like, man. but he's like shredding the whole time and like not, you know, not missing a note. But it, you know, and, and then I remember the excuse was like, yeah, dude, like the, the side fill was so loud. It just like blew me over. And I was like, wow, really? <laughs> like, how long have you been not playing? Not the 24 drinks. How long have you been uh, on playing arena stages and just now the, the side? You know, you know what I was always interested in is what, what, uh, what his roadie at the time had to, had to have on stage like next to him. Was it like oh, Keith okay. Richards style with a full bar or like? No, 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 because here's the thing is they were trying to keep Ozzy sober. So, so what they would do is he would, they would have, um, they would have the N.A., like the, the N.A. beer, like right. the St. Pauli N.A. Yeah, yeah. or whatever. And, um, but then his tech would have to fill them with real beer. So he had the N.A. fake beers on stage, you know, branded fake beers, but they were real beers, right? And so those were called live grenades, right? Yeah, that's what, the, that, the, that's what those were. Or whatever. So he wow. was, yeah, so he was drinking on stage, but it was like, oh, no, they're just fake beers or whatever. Live grenades. What a hustle. Yeah, totally. Oh, boy. And, um, but that sounds like the, torture. But then, but then... Um, you know, there was, there was tells, there was signs of what degree of berserker level he was at by what he was wearing. And the one day, I remember the one day that he walked in with overalls and a full length fur jacket. Like, I don't even remember, I don't even know, he's some thrift store or something or whatever. And then he had like a, 
like a bowler hat on or something. Like it was fucking insane. Like I don't like what thrift store he just robbed. He forgot he was from Central Jersey. <laughs> like, yeah, and 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 I and and I was like, wow, like this is going to be an interesting show because the, the the get up. But then he started to. He how start, can you play in that? Yeah, he started to wear kilts. Started to wear kilts, but then he wore, but he would wear no underwear under the kilt or whatever. Is that? And then very traditional. Yeah, and then but so there's like these different things, but. Whenever I knew that it was going to be berserker level horrendous show was whenever it was the kilt and then the black label vest, but no shirt underneath. It was just the vest like buttoned up, you know, it was just like no effort put in whatsoever. Just like no underwear, no shirt. This is what I threw on because they told me I have to get on stage. <laughs> and the, the, those were always the worst shows. And like, he, we, you know, we joke about it now because I've been working with him for like seven years or but something. But musically, like he's so fucking gifted that you could barely notice. Barely notice. I mean, there was times, like, I remember because then his guitar solo was, he was just on stage by himself right. soloing. That was the guitar solo. And there were some nights when it was just like a whammy only. <laughs> like, <laughs> no actual notes. It's not even using this hand. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, you know, like the Shreds YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like that, but for real. Like, no overdubs, you know? Sounds like a. It sounds like the like the worst Grateful Dead show I've ever seen. Yeah, like it like, was like so, they're we're, just we're, not on tonight. Yeah, like we're, we're what is happening? Wow. And how and when did the point come? Was it him or was it an intervention of sorts? Where did it go? Like either in his head or in like the group? Think like wow, something has to happen here. Yeah, well, I mean, it was medical. Oh, you know, okay. It, it was, was his it, pancreas going to I remember reading the stories on blabbermouth and stuff. Yeah, he had like some blood clots, and you know, so yeah. he went to the. And he went to the doctor and, and the doctor's like, hey, man, like, you know, you got a couple options here. You know, you can keep drinking and you'll probably, you know, die in like four or five years. Or you can stop the stupid shit and hang out with your kids and your wife and fucking still play guitar for a fucking considerably much longer period of time. You know, that sounds like the Hetfield story. Yeah, too. it's, it's like, thing. Do, <laughs> like door number one or door number two. And he's yeah. like, well, I'll take door number one. Fuck yeah. Because I'd like to hang out with my kids and wife and play yeah. guitar and listen to Led Zeppelin records. Like, I'd like to continue to do that. Yeah. And... So he literally, you know, he, his analogy of the situation is that he rode the car till the wheels fall off and he was on the rims and the rims fell off and they were going as far as they could till the cop walked up and knocked on the door and was like, you're done. Like, that's it. Like, you're busted. Like, yeah, and, and party's over. But that's he, scared straight, you know? Yeah, yeah he, I'm sure he has to be very appreciative that nothing really bad happened. Yeah. During that time, I yeah. mean, he had people taking care of him for sure, but yeah, you know, it's like a, he so hit many rock bad bottom before he destroyed himself. Just yeah. and you know, oh, and I don't think amazing. he did heroin, did he? No, 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 no. Not was at he all. a drug guy at all? No, oh. never. Strictly That's drinking. Kinda... Just drinking. Like okay. he was a he was a he was like his body processes it in such a weird way to where it was like he never ate, he never slept. It was almost like he was doing blow. But like, yeah. but not like it was just like alcohol was just like the fuel yeah. for well, insanity. Well, I mean, that's it. That's uh, I'm the same way with the, the it's it, that's his sugar. That's alcohol being turned yep. to sugar, and your yeah. his liver was probably fucking dying. Oh, it had to be mangled. Yeah. You know? I, oh, I can't. Yeah. I can't. I, I I hope that first great night's sleep was the best thing he ever fucking got. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where he was just like, holy shit, this is sleep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is what it's like. Wow. It's I mean, after so many years like mm-hmm. that, it's such an abrupt change. Mm-hmm. I mean. But, you know, when you're faced with life or death, yeah. the party's over. I mean, yeah. for fuck's sake, you know? look at Ozzy. He's still alive. Jesus yeah. Christ. Right. And, yeah, he, and he did way more damage because oh, yeah. he was like, he didn't discriminate. Like, what, like, what do you got? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, what do you got? Like, what's behind the bar? I'll have one so, of everything. 
and did you see any of that uh, no 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 that that was all history by then you know yeah, but I mean? he yeah. would fall off on occasion right? he would I mean, fall off but it, but it was like more private but it, but it was on his own time right right you know and it, whether it was like i was around or not or whatever but it wasn't it he was never like, like a, i'm away from sharon i'm gonna go get fucked up no i think he was kind of more of like a like a private you know guy about it because yeah. he did know that you know he was he, partial denial probably and everyone's whatever, watching you know? yeah. yeah whereas zach was just like Party time, like, let's go, like, you know what I mean? Get the BB guns and the fishing poles and let's fucking go fuck up some shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what, like whatever. Like, it was, whereas, let's go, like, let's go, let's go fishing with guns. Yeah. Like, whereas, <laughs> like, you know, the Aussie 80s heyday of snorting ants with Motley Crue, like, that, that wasn't that anymore. Right. Yeah. You know. I mean, did Ozzy ever say anything or Sharon, did they ever say anything to Zach? Like, dude, you need to chill? Well, there yeah. was... When he was still drinking, that's whenever the separation happened, and he basically kind of got like, he just didn't get a phone call anymore. Like, you know what I mean? It was kind of like, right. like Ozzy called him and was like, hey, man, like, I think we should just take a break, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think everybody in hindsight knows that it was because the drinking was out of control and the tour wasn't great and things weren't great. And it was like, and he, admittedly, he, he wasn't a team player. Like, he wasn't a fun dude to be around. Like, the sh like, I walked off stage stoked, but no one else did. Yeah. And I only yeah. did because I was new and I was like, I just fucking played Crazy Train. I just played War Pigs. <laughs> yeah, it's like a dream like, come true. Yeah, like I'm <laughs> like, I, like, and like the, 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 you know, the chaos of it all, like it, it was sort of insignificant to me at the time. But people that have been around for a while were like bummed. Like, you know, they yeah. get off stage and be bummed. And like, I honestly didn't want to be bummed anymore. So that's whenever the, you know, the Gus era happened and we did that for a while. But then, Poor Gus. Yeah, but, um, but, but, but that, but in that time period is when Zach did get sober and then I started managing him and, and then that whole transition happened and then now here we are. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. So, so you started your company in 2010? It was basically whenever I joined the Aussie band because I was okay. like, like I told you before, I was like, oh, oh man, I've, 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 I've maxed out. Like I've reached the limit of hired gun, bass player, heavy metal guy. Like I, there, there is nowhere else to go other than down or ACDC. So we're talking like 2004? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And, and what you did was like Black Veil Brides, one of the first bands that you... Yeah, the, well, the, the first band that I, I managed was a band called Mantis that was on this TV show. And then the next band that I managed was this band called In This Moment. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. So my, yeah. my friend Mitch did um, their last record, I guess. Yeah. wrote Mitch Marlowe. Mitch Marlowe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, um, and then, then Black Veil Brides, then... Than Zach, and I'm sure there was a few other things like you know I I managed the casualties for a minute. They're close friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I and Rick, I, I'm yeah. in a couple of bands with Rick. I managed Necromantics for a while. Like you know, yeah. I mean, I tried tried different stuff, but but now it's strictly just you know Zach and Andy from Blackville Brides. Those are like yeah, Blackville is not together anymore. No, they are. They're 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 doing they're doing some shows or whatever. Andy's working on a solo record that's Iron, coming dude, out next I year. Was, I was touring a lot in England at that time when they came out mm -hmm. and and i remember like like kerrang was sort of like transitioning at that time from like being cool to like being teen beat yeah and uh and like i remember like fucking seeing black i'd never heard of them and then all of a sudden they're on the fucking cover and like there's like these big spreads and i'm like wow these guys put a lot of effort into looking like this yeah like, that, that whole thing never really it doesn't translate in my brain that like you have to put makeup on and wear clothes and stuff like, yeah i don't know but it was like it was just so odd and then like i guess that would, i mean they're considered metalcore right like 
I guess. Core, like, I, I mean, I, that was like, they were one of the first bands that I'd heard that was doing like that sort of thing where like the, you know, the singy verse or the screamy verse and the yeah, yeah, yeah. singy thing. The and hard the, vocal. And, the, and, the and all the auto tune and yeah. stuff. And then like, and then I heard Attack Attack and I wanted to fucking blow my head off. Yeah. But like, they, it's, uh, it was interesting how quickly that style, like the influence, I knew the influences that they were taking from, but how that style, and it was so LA. Like but those, the pictures I mean, were fascinating. I looked they, they at one second. Like I'm like, this Crew. is "Shout at the Devil" meets the Misfits yeah. in one second. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I wonder what this sounds like because that's two different worlds musically. What was sure. that other band with William Control? Uh, oh yeah, um, uh, Aiden. Aiden. Yeah, yeah there's another oh, yeah, one. Aiden. They were on Victory though. Um, yeah, and it's like like so fucking. It was so that whole thing. I was like, oh, this is so L.A. This is so L.A. You know, but it was like, it, and being from New York, like you just kind of like, and I, at the time I was like. Oh, touring all over the place, and I was like, "Oh no, I missed another thing." <sighs> <laughs> yeah, I it's mean, gone from new metal to this. I got to put some makeup on. I fucked yeah, it up because for because <laughs> for because for me, it's like you know, as a kid, like Kiss was like the reason why I got into music. Yeah, like, I, that, like, I get that, it. I was never that, a Kiss that, fan. So that, I, that, yeah, like that that was a thing. So. And, and then, you know, growing up whenever I did, even though, like, I had, you know, the, the punk rock thing, we were all like, oh, fuck image and fuck all that or whatever. But really, like, my inherent love comes from image, you know, bands with image, yeah. you know? And Shock. that was the thing. You and, wanna, you wanna, I mean, punk rock, punk rock has a uniform, whether yeah. anybody wants to say it. Without you know, a doubt. And, yeah. that's, and that's the thing is, like, you know, whenever we talk about, like, you know, thrash or whatever, it was like... Dude, there was high tops. There was the high top pants, box, there was, belts, pants, there was yeah. fucking shirts with the sleeves cut off. Look like, like a member it, of Metallica in 1987 yeah. at all times. It, it, it was it was <laughs> anti cock rock for sure, but that doesn't mean that there still isn't an image going on. You know, yeah. there is. You know, but my whole thing was was I was always attracted to bands with an image, and so at the time that it's like. I, you know, casualties to me had an image. Necromantics had an image. Yeah. Blackfell Brides, like in this moment, I managed uh, Butcher Babies. Like every, everything that I had was some, like, I just, I don't, it wasn't on purpose, but it was the things that I was attracted to. Very distinct that, looking that, that, bands that stick out. If yeah. you see a, pictures of 100 bands, those four are going to shoot out. Yeah. I always appreciate somebody who puts that much effort into it. That they want to put on a show that desperately yeah. that they fucking do all, they go through all that. Cause I'm just like, you know, especially at 45 now, I'm just like, okay, we got to get up and play. Yeah. You know, like no, no light show, no yeah. nothing. And I love but it. I mean, cause like zombie, it was very image based. And yeah, I love totally. getting, like, Certainly. like, and even yeah. like Ozzy, like, man, like I'm, I'm tapping into my like eighties roots, you know, like for sure, like a little bit. And, but like, but it's Ozzy, man. Like, you know, like well, he's playing arenas. He's, he's got to do a lot. With, yeah. You know? you know, how much money gets saved? By not having to lug around a ton of shit and just having video projections. Well, but we lug around a ton of shit. Oh, too. I know you do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, well, those are all dummy cabs, right? Like there was, I saw one. There's, your, there's, you had one mic cab. There's, there's, uh, there's, mic. there's some live ones up there, and then Zach has some live ones. Yeah, he had two. You know, just because that's so. where the sound is coming from. Right. But um, but yeah, but a lot of it's just for yeah. you know production. The light show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ozzy always had a stage show, but he was always so much of a personality that. It almost gets lost a little. We were saying we he can't do the frog hop anymore. Yeah, oh, yeah that was he the old do that anymore. Yeah, I haven't no. seen that one in a while. I mean, yeah. I don't know if I could do that now. When I'm no, I, I yeah, like I'm I used 50. to watch him. How the fuck does he even do that? Yeah, thing? no, I can't. Like, no. I, I throw my back out. Yeah, yeah. I'll get a hernia <laughs> somehow or something. <laughs> yeah. I have a torn meniscus. I need surgery on. Yeah, yeah. fuck that. But Ozzy, like, he always did have the image, and it's you know everything from the record covers to what he wore to just his vibe. But his energy was. It's almost like Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper has so much stage stuff going on that you almost forget how engaging he is as a person. Yeah. And Ozzy has that too. Yeah. They've, it's more than just an it factor. They've just got like a mesmerizing well, way about I mean, them. The, there's a reason why they Ozzy was a TV all the star. Other shit around. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, but the TV star thing didn't use that. It almost used him as being like the anti that. True, but he you know, still it's like had him kind of certain, down home. He yeah. still had a certain charisma though that you couldn't deny. Yeah. You well, know he mean? can have that throwing something in the garbage. Like can. we we talked you know? about that. He like just he, got that. Right. Yeah. It's like there's certain people who just kind of glow. They walk in the room and they glow. Yeah. Yep. And you can't take your eyes off of them yeah. no matter what you do. And, and you can't and replicate it, it. And you can't explain no. it. He's just that guy. Liam Gallagher. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's uh, um, you know, I mean, dumb as a box of rocks. But, like, you know, you're just like, you can't take your eyes off him. Yeah. This fucking looks incredible. And there's, uh, there's, we could go through countless people that are like, I'm just saying, like, as oh. an example of, of, like, you know, especially after people have had a storied career and their self-confidence is so, you know, like, they, they know everybody's looking at them. You know, but there's, you, you, you know, as a manager going to see bands, right? Like, you'll see a band, you just, like, I'm sure Andy Black does that for you. It's like, you'd see him and you're like, this guy's, this guy's got something. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. special. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's like, and it's your, sort of your job to help prop that up and continue exactly. to make that person feel like, not necessarily feel special or be egotistical, but at least on an artistic level, make them shine. And, and that's, you know, I, I obviously working here, like, you know, it, you see people. You also see people on the way down, who who used to have it. You know, it does. Yeah. It does go away. It does. It, oh, it certainly does. Yeah. But like for Ozzy, you know, like even even at this age, you know, and granted, he's had a lot of help to continue his career. You know, because I'm sure if if I, I don't know for sure, but if it wasn't for Sharon, he might not be playing right now. He might not have been playing for the last he might twenty not be years. Alive he somewhere. might not he even might have a solo career. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, he certainly wasn't on a path to have a solo career. To, After definitely. Sabbath, he was on a path to death. Yeah, yeah. totally. On purpose, yeah, by design, like self-inflicted, like, yeah, you know? and and she, yeah, and she, you know, like obviously she engineered a situation that gave him that self-confidence to glow again and to be that guy. It's a, you know, and I guess drugs and alcohol will dull that glow, mm-hmm. no doubt, you know, for the people who survive through it. But it's a, uh, yeah, it's just an interesting. It's it's something I've always like noticed. Like there's, I always say this about Walter from Quicksand because he's like my favorite singer and my favorite band. And eventually I got to, well. In the mid '90s, I played in a band with him for a couple of years, and it was like I would watch him on stage and it'd just be like, "Oh my god!" You know, like, "Wow, this fucking guy!" You know, and he, he was ours here in New York. So, like, when they yeah. got bigger, it was like, you know, uh, I mean, I never let it go. I just toured with them actually, and I, I felt the same way. And I was just like, "Oh," but it's uh, you know, like there there were moments where like you know you could tell he lost his self confidence that things had gone down, and like and. Uh, it, do, it does happen, but it's in, it's just an interesting thing to see when you see somebody on stage for the first time and you really see that. You're like, and, and you can even see them backstage and you just know, like, this person is electric. Somebody, like, you just, it's magnetic. People want to talk to them. They want to be around the person, you know, or girl. You know, like, it's 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 but pretty cool. You know what's I, interesting I, is you go to Ozzy and it's like he's at the lowest point of his life in, like, 79 or so, and he's seeking death. And you know, almost begrudgingly gets dragged out of a hotel room to get his shit together and finds a couple of people and puts out Blizzard of Oz and knocks the world on its ass. Yeah. And it's like the guy who was had no confidence and no drive because it's so ingrained Well, he in had him. been and beaten down a, for years at that point, too. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think everything took its toll at that point. But here's a, it's always in there. And it's like he forgot it and he lost it and someone else lit the spark and then... Yeah, you know, he reinvented himself. You know, Sabbath changed music, and then Blizzard of Oz changed. I mean, that, I don't know that jump started the. I 80s. don't know if, if Sharon put together that band, but the original band, like Rudy Sarzo, Tommy Aldridge, and I mean, what a and, perfect line, Chris Randy. Jesus, like I mean, geez, if that's not going to fucking inspire you, I don't know. What yeah. would. You know what I mean? But when you're down Jesus. and out and depressed, and you got kicked out by your 
the band you were in since you were kids, you've lost everything. Like you're building, you're rebuilding a human being. And you know, but man, he can't, I mean, all my friends were a few years older because I was already at the Sabbath. And uh, the, the thing was like, oh, Ozzy's washed up. Because you know, they came through, Van Halen blew them away, oh, supposedly. smoked them. Yeah. yeah. And then the band falls apart. You know, he thought it was over. And, you know, and then Blizzard of Oz came in. I remember my friends being like, ah, it's going to suck. Older friends. Yeah. And then it came out, and it was like, holy shit. Yeah. This dude's back. Right. You know, like more than back. Right. Like, he's and, reaching the and, next level even. But yeah. his voice was part of like a, a subconscious, you know what I mean? Like you hear it, and you immediately think of Sabbath, which was already a massive band, and they just needed the good songs and, and a, a new start to, yeah. to really kick it. Like he needed to separate himself from – from Tony Iommi and and all those guys and like and it was it was very much like I look at Ozzy as sort of like uh he kind of like the the blueprint would be like maybe Deep Purple and Rainbow like that sort of thing where like you have the superstar guitar player yeah who does all the shit and then you get the singer and Dio you know Dio right. did the same thing he kept getting like new guitar players who were these yep. fucking sick dudes who could play and Ozzy uh, Ozzy was like I think at the forefront of all that like discovering guys and and like yeah he got really lucky. Jesus, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, whoever was picking that talent, Ozzie man, is, fucking, yeah, you know, because I mean, you're a part Randy, of that too, dude. So yeah, because you know, cool. Randy was next level, you know. Yeah. I mean, he was an alien beyond everyone. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, was quite, you think Quiet Riot was pissed off? Well, not, <laughs> well, not at the end of the day. At the end of the day, no, it, it helped their career. Down. Yeah, you know, I guess. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. No, what's that guy's name? Carlos, the guy who replaced Randy, the blonde guy, Carlos Cabezo. Yeah, yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's really good. But yeah, I mean, I think it worked out for everyone. Yeah, and I, I don't. You know, Quiet Riot were not writing songs anywhere near the level of Ozzy. That they was a perfect lineup, perfect oh, time, yeah, yeah, yeah. perfect no, storm, totally, totally. and two perfect records. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I would imagine for everybody, like when you're when you're in that, I mean, you're in it, like you're like, okay, I, we're writing stuff for fucking Ozzy. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's a no brainer. This guy's gonna sing. It's gonna sound like Ozzy, and like that's cool. Okay, we can we can write shit like that. Yeah, you know, it's it's weird. Like the there was that period in, I guess it was like the late 80s, where, it, again, we were saying like it got a little like, smear, like I don't know if Zach was writing a lot of that stuff that was sort of on the glammy side. Uh, but, for On which he, he well, did the, you know, those two records, No More Tears. And, right. The ones after you know, Jake. Yeah. 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 But No More Tears well, is such a great record. I guess yeah. what the, uh, what's the Jake? Uh, um, uh, the Bark at the Moon? No, no, the one after Bark at the Moon. Um, Ultimate Sin. The Dweezil Zappa video. Uh, Ultimate Sin. Ultimate Sin. That's yeah. sort of a poppy Keyboardy, heavy. Yeah, that was a very timely, poppy, yeah. commercial record. Yeah. yeah, compared to the previous Ozzy record. I love that record though. It's fucking great. It all depends where you it, came in. Like you know, yeah. it does. All my it friends, does. you know, because we were listening to DRI and Agnostic Front and Slayer. So when that came out, I'm like, I lost the plot. Because because totally. it depends. But it wasn't for us. It depends what age it is, right? Because yep. like like Blizzard and Diary are like staples. Completely. And then they and formed then, us. And, and then and then and then what happened to us was you know punk rock and skateboarding and all that stuff. Yep. So we lost the plot yep. in the Jakey Lee era. Now Gus, 10 years younger than us, yep. he only, he, the Gus, I mean the, uh, the Jakey Lee period is his period. Yep. He, the, those two records are his Blizzard and Diary. Yep. You know, because it's just a Absolutely. matter of perspective of where you're, yeah. you know, where you're it, coming it's from. It's funny too, because when I meet kids, I meet kids here. I say kids, they're probably in their 30s. But Ultimate Sin is much like different Turbo, than, than Bark at the Moon. I mean, in its own, you know what What's I mean? That? Yeah. Bark of the Moon is much more of a continuation of the diary. Yeah, I think it's pretty true to the first two. Mm -hmm. Just a different player and a different song. And a, a, a couple, bit. like a year later, but music it's all had about, changed like, so much. You come here you know? and this kid's five, ten years younger than me, and I meet him, I talk to him for a while. 
And like they told me how like Turbo and like Ultimate Sin changed their oh. life, and I'm like, what? Yeah. Fucking like, Turbo. I was out. Out. I was so far out. Totally. Like, I love these bands. I respect them forever. I'm four years record, younger than you, and I was even like out. It's the Black Album. <laughs> yeah. Those, the Black Album and Turbo and Ultimate Sin—they're not written for us. No. no. They're written for kids five years younger who are 13. Yep. And you know the new whatever Slayer or Chromags is written for us, and yeah. that's where we're at. And uh, but it is interesting. But then years pass, and you hear all the records, and you, and you get past the things like, all right, the production is geared toward this, or the image is geared to that. You just listen to the songs, and like, yo, know, a good song's a good song. Yeah. And there's great songs on Ultimate Sin. Yeah, I think so, but too. They weren't, right. But, you know, when I'm listening to dealing with it and animosity and rain, and rain and blood, it doesn't mean shit. But, you know, when there's a 13-year-old kid who sees the shot in the dark video, it's changing his life immediately. Yep. Yeah. The, Just the, the way... The imagery with the fucking hair and the hairspray and all that shit. I mean, that's why I didn't like Guns N' Roses when they came out. Because I saw the Welcome to the Jungle video, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Like, this band was supposed to be so rock and roll and cool, and I'm like, this guy just fucking looks like fucking... But you mentioned imagery before, like it, Kiss. I didn't realize at the time because I already loved Sabbath, but you look at the Blizzard of Oz cover, and and I was young, I was like twelve. Yeah, yeah. But and I was I wanted to hear it because I already liked him. But even if I didn't, I would have saw that cover and been like, "Holy shit, what is this?" Of course, Die of a Madman too. I mean, that's that's I you mean, know you know we didn't we know we didn't have the access to stuff like we do now. I mean, then you had to kind of dig you through did. Yeah. bins and find an yeah. album cover that was and cool that looking. Like, oh, Venom, I'm going to try that. Iron Maiden, I'm going to grab yeah. that. Like, you know, Ozzy, I'm going to grab that. Sabbath, I'm going to grab that. Grateful Dead, I'm going to grab that. Oh, that was a mistake. Yeah. But yeah, totally. the name sounded cool and the Molly album cover Hatchet. is awesome. I remember, yeah, oh, Molly Hatchet. Oh, that was kind of a mistake. We oh, bought Molly Hatchet in there. records and yeah. we're like, Oh yeah, it doesn't yeah. sound like I thought it right. was gonna sound. Such a bummer, right? Totally. But yeah, that's how I, I mean. That's how you had to do. It. You had to kind of take a chance based on the album cover. Yeah, totally. you know, sometimes I remember you win, being a you really young kid, and yeah. I'm in the record store, and I saw a Seareth Ungo record, who yep. I fucking love to this day. Oh yeah. And um, and it was next to a Riot record, who I also love. But the Riot record had like a ferret on the. No, cover. it's an owl. Isn't yeah, it? Is it like an, an owl? owl whatever thing. the fuck their logo is. <laughs> Dumbest looking thing I ever saw. And then Seareth Ungo had this epic metal looking painting and yep. I'm like, I went with Sierra Dungle and that one as time passed so it's like even whether it's punk or metal what you put out as an image does matter for sure and you yeah. might now if you are of pure intention whether it be punk or metal or whatever you might not want that to be like in the glam metal thing it was like I'm trying to look like my girlfriend on purpose yes. and to us that was offensive yes but you know, there is something at the end of the day, like what your band looks like or what a photo cover is. It doesn't have to be, if that's your whole existence, that's corny as shit. But it is one of the ingredients that bakes the cake, for Agreed. lack of a better term. Agreed. And it's like, you know, so for, and sometimes it was to be the total opposite. Like, I look like I just came out of work because I'm a pissed off punk rock guy or I'm a thrash metal dude who, you know, unloads a truck. I'm keeping it real. But it is part of the thing. Should have gone to law school. <laughs> well, God, you should graduate high school. Remember how cool we were unloading trucks when we were 18? Yeah, yeah I did it in my 30s. <laughs> and it sucks. But, you know, so going back to the bands you took, Black Veil Brides, Cassidy's, there is that spark and there's that special thing. And it's like, if it is just an image, it's weak. But if it's a band, like you said, putting in effort, but you are subtly or overtly, you're trying to tell a story with your picture or with your image or like Cryptic Soul or with your lyrics. It's like, Hey man, we're kind of being lumped in a bit with metal, but like this mentality's punk rock. You know, we're not singing right. about corpses. We're singing about social and political stuff. Right. And you know, everyone does that. They can say they don't, but everyone does it. How much you use it to market in a way that's dishonest is a different story. 
But well, you know, that's that's label. I mean, Alice PR Cooper. When I walked jobs. in a record store and saw an Alice Cooper record, I'm like, I want this. I didn't know what the fuck it sounded like, but who could see that being 10 years old and not want to buy it? Just mm-hmm. like Kiss, you know. And you know, it is part of the thing. No doubt. Yeah. yeah like yes. Yes, <laughs> but, but a yes didn't interest me. I, I was like, yeah. oh, that looks too. See, deep. I hated Kiss yeah. and Alice Cooper, but a yes was everything to me. So, I, well, you were a nerd, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> so, totally. And Rush. Oh, well, um, I loved Rush, but Rush but, was like a balance to me because Rush looks fascinating. Yes, looked like a math test. I don't know. Yeah, no. Rush yeah, that's, that's a fair analogy. Yeah. You know, if I, Yes I, was a math test, I'd be a fucking professor at Princeton right now. <laughs> Rush covers it, always fascinate me. I'm like, I don't know what this sounds like, and this looks interesting. And then the music's the same way. It's like, yeah. this is interesting music. Yeah. And, so you know, let me ask you, so, you know, that a far gone age we're speaking of where record covers actually fucking mattered. The, the, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, really. So you're pretty in the industry at this point, you know, obviously with your management and everything, and you have your podcast, which you can uh, promote right now. What's it called? Oh, the, the, I think anyone listening, well, I have one called Managemental that is ongoing. And then um, the newest one that I did is called A New Level. And that was very specifically mission-based in that I interviewed a bunch of people, you know, behind-the-scenes people in the industry, like Brian Slagle from Metal Blade and Scott Sokol, who books, like, Slayer Used to be stuff. my booking agent. You know, yeah. um, so, I, I, so I booked a lot of, I mean, no. I, I, I talked to a lot of my friends, and I asked them very specific questions. I asked them all the same questions. And it was very specific mission-based to entrepreneur, heavy metal entrepreneurial people how they got in there, why they stuck it out, how they got, to, you know, how, like, how did this happen? Right. Because so often I get the question of like, man, I want to do what you do. How is it that, you know, how do you, how do you do that? How can it be done or whatever? So that's why I interviewed all these people. That's so interesting it's like, idea. Because like, I have my perspective right. of what I did and I can tell you why I did, but I can't reverse engineer everybody else unless I talk to them. Right. So anyone looking to, you know, get into the business on some level and follow your dreams, follow your passion, whether it's in a band or you want to start a record label or be a booking agent, whatever that is, you know, check that out. It's called a new level, you know, a yeah, new level that's a really cool idea. And I mean, for people like us who are always in bands and always working at clubs or roading, it's one thing, but you know, 99% of the people just go to concerts and buy records mm-hmm. well, or download records. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they don't know any of that stuff. No. And some want to get in, or some just will find it fascinating. That's a yeah. really interesting. Well, idea. I mean, I think what's, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm the worst person to talk about the music industry with, but the, the it's just because I had some really, really bad experiences. But the, I mean, in, in the 90s, uh, I used to call it ri- uh, rich kid fun. It was like, you know, hey, this trust fund kid wants to start a, a fucking management company, you know, and manage Limp Biscuit and buy 250,000 records and get them on the charts, Jordan Sure. Yeah. And like, you know what I mean? Like, and fucking. <laughs> You know, and and then become the president of Geffen and like, you know, or, or, or whatever they did. But I always called it Rich Kid Fun. I just be like, oh, it's just, you know, like they're dipping their toes in for a little while because they really love music. And there was a, such a distinct difference between the people that you would meet who came up a long way, like a Jimmy Iovine, who's another one, please. But like fucking uh, uh, all these people, like you'd, you'd meet them throughout. And, you, you know, like, OK, these guys old school, the newer school guys, especially that new metal scene was such like, oh, my God. Like what the fuck, and and well, I don't think they, they come up like you and say Michael Alago is a perfect example. Came from being a passionate fan, living it. Oh. Money's not even on the, not even no. on the radar. No, you know, it's like I'm doing this because I but have to. But he did to. make it, and then, <laughs> yeah. but he made it. But he, you know, he made it in the purest but, of ways. Ron, his timing. Come on, I mean, it's not now. Like, like it's it's. But weird. there were like, there were had to be a hundred people that wanted to do that. Of course, and didn't. Oh, of course, hundred thousand yeah. people. Yeah, of course, everybody wanted you know, that. He, life. he was, was fifteen, great. and he started by starting the Dead Boys fan club. I mean, mm. you know, 
you're starting at the lowest level, mm-hmm. and it's just it's your passion that's pushing you yep. through. And, For him, and, and that, persistence in, in the podcast, that's the one thread through everybody is they were passionate right. about music and metal specifically. And this is what I was going to bring up is that like that's who's left. That's who's left. Yeah. From the collapse of everything, the only reason you would want to fucking do this is because it's your it's a lifestyle. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Like it's other than that, like. I, it you know like for people coming up, I see it all the time. Like I you know I had no backup plan, none. Didn't even fucking think Me about neither. it. Me and neither. and you know like I wound up here, luckily you know with, with whatever skill I had. But like the bartending, rough stuff. But like the <laughs> the uh, the the point is, is that like like it, you everybody has a different story, and I found that like nowadays the people that I meet are they are they're really passionate and they're really like. They everybody wants to work together as opposed in the past it would be very competitive. I mean, of course, with different venues, we have to deal with all that bullshit. You know, the AEGs and Live Nations of the world are ready to eat you alive mm-hmm. at any moment. But well, in a city like New York, it's rough because you have a, such a huge corporate structure in the music business, and that you're like the you accidentally or on purpose, you're the middle finger, like, hey, fuck right? You. And well, there's also. A, the, like there's a core of people that like behind the scenes help us, you know what I mean? And, and they're just like, it's uh whether it be just talking about it or, you know, like booking agents, management, whoever bands, the bands, of course, they're number one, but like, it's a, uh, it's just, it's, it's such a different world now. And so what, I, what my, my going back 10 minutes ago, before <laughs> we went tangentially speaking, um, the, uh, what do you think the future is? Like what, uh, you know, like we've been in flux, for how long? Like you know, since the late two thousands, when CDs stopped being sold, be, be, being bought, and streaming started coming in, and now streaming's taken over, and it's like you know the bands still aren't making any money, and you know everything's gone smaller, smaller, smaller. Which I've definitely noticed having this place, obviously, because like ten years ago, there's no fucking way we would have had Megadeth or Anthrax or any of these bands. They would have never done it. You know what I mean? Like, and it's uh. And on the other side, you wouldn't have had like bands like Grim Reaper or fucking Wehrmacht or like any of these bands get back together and play. You know what I mean? Sure. So there, there is two sides to it. But like, what do you think that there'll ever be any sort of recovery? Or you know, like, like again, when I was talking about kids and bands these days, they all have backup plans. Nobody throws caution to the wind anymore. They're not. They're smarter than that. You know, it's like it's. I mean, whether it be their sound guys or they work in a studio or they do. You know, I never even did that shit. It was just like it's also because I think all of it's less underground now. I mean, I mean, all of it has a. You can have a mobile job, whereas before, right? Like in my right, era, yeah. okay. In, right. in, 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 in in my era, you had to find a flexible job, right. like working at a bar, to where that someone could cover my shifts while I went on tour, and I came back, and then I would, you know, go and I right. Get Otherwise, my you had a back. job where you're clocking yeah. in, and yeah. You got to show know what up. I mean, or I worked in retail where there's. 10 million places, if I quit that job, I'll just get another one when I get back. Right. You know what I mean? So having a flexible job. Now, if I have a laptop and I can catch a Wi-Fi, I can do my online store or whatever. And you can multitask. Yeah, you can can run a business from the road. I do. I run a management business from the road. And you could, you know, whatever it is. You know, so it doesn't have to be some brick and mortar thing. You can find a a, a side gig and and roll it with you. Um, I think to answer your question is to back up, I have a hypothesis, or had a hypothesis. Please tell. Pro- proven by Rudy Sarzo, who I it was on his podcast, and um, so my hypothesis was that at the height of rock and metal, right when Def Leppard could sell 
20 million records. And, and that, was, that was whenever the gatekeeper was only MTV, Headbangers Ball, and, and Terrestrial Radio, right? Those, those were, that was where you heard and saw music. And the 10 videos that they rotated, right? It was if it was a Motley Crue, Def Leppard, you know, what have you, those bands all sold shit tons of records, right? Even if you look at Headbangers Ball, the height of Sepultura was during Territory. MTV, yeah. you, know, you know? And so because that was, that, was the, that was the only curation, was Terrestrial Radio and MTV, right? Those were the only places that we saw. And then, you know, Beavis and Butthead, once again, MTV. That was the hype. So I asked Rudy, I was telling him this, and because Quiet Riot was fucking epically huge, and because of MTV, he said, that is the only reason. The only reason why Quiet Riot was epically huge and sold tens of millions of records was because of MTV. That was it, because of that minimal sense of curation. So, and the timing of MTV coming, the, where it was at that point. Correct. Yeah. But yeah. it was the point of, as a fan and as a consumer, that was the only places that you saw stuff. So the pop culture consumer, right, it, it was... We, and we had everything. And we also had the transition out of vinyl into CD, which was massive at the same time, right? So you had this sort of perfect storm of small curation, massive consumerism, and it all just kind of worked. And that's why those bands were, you know, huge and sold shit tons of records. And in New York, the equivalent was Twisted Sister, who followed the Quiet yes. Riot blueprint. Yes. Because they played for a decade in clubs, yep. slogged away. Yep. But and then... I'm sure D would admit that their hugeness was because they had awesome videos yep. at a time when that was. And the, MTV got behind it. Yep, and and but but the records were awesome. Yes, yeah. two. You know what I mean? These these guys delivered great records. I'm not taking away from that. That, that but pyro, it's the storm that yeah, created the success. Yeah. Pyromania should have sold tens of millions of records. You know, it wasn't just that. But but so what I think is is. I think it's just coming in for a landing. I think at the time that all these bands were selling tens of millions of records, it was. It, it, it was just a fantasy. Like, it was just an unreal time. And I feel like, like we're going back to where it was, to where Slayer and Metallica didn't have terrestrial radio, right? They didn't have MTV. Even Iron Maiden. Yeah. And, and, you know, Rain and Blood was going where that was going, and Master of Puppets was going where that was going. And now we're just at a time to where it's now just coming in for a landing and getting real and going back to where it was. We have things like Ghost. That and and Greta Von Fleet. I do not like Greta Von Fleet. However, they're being like, pushed to. Th th but however, they at least sound like Led Zeppelin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. it's like they don't sound like Bon Jovi. They sound like Led Zeppelin. So even though I'm not a fan, I can get behind it. That what that tells me is that here comes a new rock band that sounds like a band that I like for a younger generation, and it's connecting. Right, they're selling thousands of records a week. They're they're selling out six thousand capacity shows. Right, they'll be playing arenas probably or whatever. And Ghost is another one. Ghost is going into arenas. They'll be headlining Download Festival. Like, those are the kinds of things that give me hope. That, and I think Ghost is awesome. Right, I like Ghost. And too. so, so I'm stoked that it isn't some bullshit Bon Jovi band that is that's representing rock. It's not it, shitty pop. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, so, so, so it gives me hope that a band as cool as Ghost, right, image base, I can get behind it. I think their music is awesome. Um, like, I, I feel like it's just, we're coming in for a landing, right? There's, the Black Sabbaths are going to retire, Motorhead is going to pass away, Ozzy's going to retire, Motley Crue's going to retire, those things step away. We have 
a bunch of bands on deck to take their spot. And as fans, as, as, li- as like you said, as lifers, as guys with passion about this music, we're going to step up. You know, if Alice in Chains becomes the headliner because all the other headliners are retired or, or have passed away, we're still going to show up. You know, we're still going to go to those festivals and we're still going to support. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder if the peripheral lifestyle. people are going to show up, though, because that's really the people that need to fill those spots in those Danny Wimmer festivals. You know, they, it's they, like they, you know what? They may or may not. But if they're booked properly, though, they yeah. will. You'll but, hit every niche. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it's I don't know. I, feel, I like, think you just have to earn it more and you have to I, work harder I'll like talk you about did it before mic, everything. Yeah. <laughs> But but here's the thing: people are still gonna come to St. Vitus because it's it's fucking cool. Well, I think we, it, but I think that we we're at an advantage because of our size. Like, yeah. I mean, even if even if we were to get another place, it wouldn't be a thousand seater. You know what I mean? It would be no. The, but but the point of it, it is, is that you're curating something cool, which gives me hope that you can run a successful business curated around cool music. Oh yeah, right. Right. And you're running a successful business that gives people like me hope that. We haven't shit the bed. Like, you know what <laughs> right. I mean? The party is not over. It's just at a point now where it's cool and underground, but and yet I we think can it's all like, make you know, a living. You made a great analogy, though. It's like it's almost like the dot-com bubble and all these bubbles that burst. Yeah. After Def Leppard, it almost had to burst because it reached an unrealistic Correct. thing. And it was more than just music. It was how it was marketed. It was how it was available. From whether it be because now it's digital, mm-hmm. you know, now you have the option of free music mm-hmm. that changes the whole game from being like, all right, well, we have to be say more merch thing or we have to hit the road constantly. The whole blueprint, everything it's like, well, that's part of the problem too because the label, like, you got to hit the road. Who's paying for that? You know what I mean? Like, like well, it, 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 it's, it's harder, it's a again. class it's distinction thing where, again. like, there isn't not everybody's fucking capable of doing that, but and, which is good because then that that provides. There's a barrier for entry now. Like whenever I was first putting out records in the 80s with Cryptic Slaughter, the barrier for entry was you couldn't just make a record. Like, you know what yeah, I mean? Making, totally. making wax. It's fucking hard. You know, putting a, make, going into a studio and making a record and putting it on wax and getting in a record store, not everybody could do that. Right. Like there was a barrier for entry. For what that is now, now it's very much minimalized that there is really no barrier anyone can make a record on the computer and fucking put it on itunes well that's tomorrow. what that's what, yeah. like what inspires kids to pick up a guitar or play drums you know what i mean like when you really like i mean i hope it exists i really do like I, it's I've, I've had this conversation with other, with people in the past where it's like at what point will bands not exist anymore you know at what point will it just retract so much and it won't be worth it to anybody to get to have to like share everything with four dudes and like you know, like there's no more like the urbanization of everybody. Like nobody, people not living in the suburbs, not staying because it's really I mean, where it all starts. Extreme, is in the fucking suburbs. you're talking about an extreme dumbing down of entertainment. Though. No, I mean, I look, mean that's different than look at SoundCloud rappers. Your cousin, my cousin's huge SoundCloud rapper. Who? Ghostman. Oh yeah, that's my cousin. Oh okay, and I love him. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. I love that kid. I mean, he grew up. I with... love SoundCloud rap too, by the way. Like. <laughs> I love all those dudes. But, but they're fascinating. No tattoos on your him. face. They are fascinating. We talk, yeah. me and him talk regularly because he looks at me as like an old school punk metal guy and he asked me, yo, he lives in a different world. It's all digital. Um, he came through on tour. He sold out a 300 place venue and my other cousin was selling this merch. I go to the merch table expecting, yo, because he has a brand in his imagery. Yeah. You see his shit. Yeah. He had a cassette tape and one shirt. And I'm like... <laughs> Oh, you want fucking angel dust? Mm. I'm like, you should have 27 things behind this thing. Because yeah. I sold for Black Label, yeah. and it barely fits on this bar. Yeah. Because he fucking taps into everyone and everything. Yeah. And uh, now, being his merch guy was a pain in the ass, but he's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. 
my cousin, I'm like, are you out of your mind? But they're not from that. They live on the, they live on the digital download money. And it's, I mean, it's great. They have a, they have an independence and a DIY built in method that gives them freedom, but they don't understand marketing. And, and you know, it's a thin line. You don't want to absorb, you don't want to saturate the market, yeah. but like, holy fuck a tape and a shirt, dude. Yeah. Like, come on. My punk band had that in 1986 <laughs> when we like, Made a demo and we used to dub them and we made a shirt that was black and white. Well, for you five think bucks. you get the tattoos on your face, you're in now. You should probably work on the market. I mean, he's a different thing. My, we'll talk about my cousin from there, but he's a different thing because he understands metal, he understands hardcore, and he's a, he's a pretty pure artist. And I don't think, I think some of those SoundCloud kids aren't. I think he's the exception to the rule, and I think that's why he is going to last. And he has outside influences musically and mentally. He's a different kind of cat. Yeah. But Using that as the example and everything you're talking about, I do think there's two key things. One of them is it's old school again. You have to play hard. You have to, but you have to, I mean, there's a million bands. I mean, we can wake up in the morning between everyone we know in the industry or our friends or the label list you're on. There's 500 new things to listen to every morning. Yep. And, and that's without even going to Pitchfork and Brooklyn Vegan and Blabbermouth and every other fucking site. So yeah, you do. You have to stick out and you have to work hard. You have to work hard by playing the small club. You have to work hard by marketing. If you, if you have that vision, if you're not just like, hey, I'm doing this because I love it. I don't care if I make a penny. So it's hard again. And there's a money crunch now. Everything's really fucking hard. But you know, it kind of weeds out the week. It does, you know? and, and that's I mean, I'm I saying. That's what's, yeah, that's what's I used to see Mastodon play abandoned mm. buildings, play yeah. punk basements. It's like and if you don't, if you don't make they worked it, hard. Yeah, if you don't you know? make it, then you didn't deserve to make it. Yeah. You, know, you didn't, it's like, like. I mean, I think there's some talentless fucks making millions of dollars, but that's always going to happen. Always. It happened in the 80s. Yeah. You know, the third rate band that wasn't Guns N' Roses, they shouldn't be able to sell out the oh, bathroom here, but see, they made millions of dollars. You want to talk about media? It's going to happen. In the 1990s, always. please. Yeah. But I mean, but that's, yeah. that's, that's, always, that's, that's always. We're talking about more like core, pure music that works the hard way and makes it. It's just a different set of rules. It's a different mind frame. And I think it's always going to happen. It's really easy to, whether you're the bartender slash musician bar owner, the punk rock guy singing in a new band at 48 and working at a fucking record store, or the guy who started at the lowest level and is now at Ozzy. It's like, there's always going to be somewhere to go up or down. And it's just always going to change. But we're all passionate and we're all going to, we're going to be cockroaches because we're passionate. Exactly. If you want the convenience, it's never, you're in the wrong fucking business oh, yeah. unless you really step in some shit. You didn't step in Ozzy. It took you so fucking long to get yep. there. Totally. You and know? I, and, 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 it's and like, that's it. That's the game. Like, it just changes. I feel like you just got to put the effort in. Like, for instance, like Monolord. Like, they're, to me, they're a good example of a band that, you know, started off small. They, they play what they want. Right and but they've been making a name for themselves over the course of oh, yeah. records. You yeah, know? they're a band. And, they're one of the few bands that I've seen that didn't like start here selling out and then go down. There was a trajectory of yes. what they did. They played here two years ago and I think it was eighty people. The other night they oversold. Yeah, like, it was yeah. fucking crazy. Sold out, and, right? and that's on a Monday night. Cool yeah. way, you know, yeah. just and, and playing hard and, and earning. And, it. and but but who's that dude from Easy Rally Records? He's uh, yeah, that guy's fucking awesome. He does a totally. good job, man. Yeah, really good job. And and. Uh, and so, so, so I look at them as an example of that. If you're looking at you know, a band from Europe, it came. You know what I mean? It's all the way over here, selling out St. Vitus. Yeah, it's fucking right? great. To, on tour on their own, I put them on tour with Black Label because I felt like they deserved it. You know, I felt like they should open for Black Label at the Royal Albert Hall. In they front earned of 3, it. They needed that people. break. Yeah, and and like, but they've been working hard. 
right? They did, like, there's all these motherfuckers that are just be like, oh, oh, man, like, I'm Zach's bro, man. Can't you put me on tour? No, you haven't deserved it. Like, you don't deserve yeah. it. Like, you haven't yeah. put in the work. Yeah. Like, Monolord put in the work, and you're seeing the results. And so anybody that wants to be in a band, you, there's examples, you know, of what you can look at. Yeah, is, is it going to be the next, you know, giant thing? No, may, probably not, because statistically that's just not how life works. Sorry, yeah. you know. Yeah. But can those guys tour around and play the music that they wrote, that they, you know, love to do, and are people showing up? Yeah, they are. So it can be done. You know, of course. Oh, yeah. Done, I, and you your, band is the, your first band's the best example. You guys couldn't even get to the fucking East Coast, and you had three records out. Yeah. It's so e easy to just be jaded and be like, fuck this. Yeah. I can't. In one way, it's amazing. You have three records out. You're just graduating high school. But in another way, you're like, I have three records out, and I can't get a 1,000 miles east. It's all yeah. about how you, your perspective is. Yep. You either... You could look at that and be like, oh, man, we failed in some ways. Or you could be like, holy fuck, I have three records out, and now it's going to lead to the next thing. Your well, mindset very, and your drive is everything. That's all very individualistic, and it's also uh, upbringing, how much your parents driven you, how much you want to mm -hmm. like do other things in life. It's, I mean, that's such an individual thing. You yeah, know, it's like, but I, I think that now I, I welcome a time where nothing is handed to someone. I think it keeps you pure. It keeps you honest. It hopefully keeps you humble. And you earned it. And, you know, there's bands I hate that are at that middle level or top level, but I know they worked for it. When I see a kid just have a right look and just get put in a spot because he has the right look or he's friends with the right person, like you, you said, they earned that spot. Mm -hmm. You know, the other people wanted kind of the free ride. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't adhere to that, and I'm glad the music industry, at least in, at this kind of music, it, that stuff is relatively separate from it. Yeah. I think, and that's, you know, that's why the right people survive, hopefully, and hopefully the music and the business associated with it survives. You know, you and Michael Lago are kind of parallel in the way. It's like it started from nothing with passion, and look where it is. Mm -hmm. That's how you have to look at it. Yep. And you know, along the way, you learn business. You grow up. You learn shit. You learn your own fuck-ups. But it's like, you know, you're here because you corrected the mistakes, and you did the right things, and you weren't a dick along the way. Funny story, last Black Label tour, um, Post Malone went to, the, went to one of the gigs, and, uh, and Zach and his wife, you know, they have a couple of 20-year-old kids, and, but Zach and, and his wife hit me up, and they're like, yeah, some, some guy, Post Malone, showed up to the gig. Um, like, like, who is he? Like, the kids are, like, freaking that he showed up. And I was like, is he, they were like, is he, like, big or whatever? And I go, only the second biggest rap record of the year under Drake like and they're like really that guy like, he showed up to the gig and they're like we're gonna escort him out do, do, you, do you think we can like maybe like work on a collab with him or so i go i don't know i'll hit up the manager and find out so so i hit up the man i find that dre london is his manager i hit up his manager and i go hey man like you know zach said that you know post rolled into the gig the other night or whatever you need if you need any merch or anything you know just let me know if he's a fan or whatever and he's like and dre was like yeah man i was there too he was fucking badass or whatever and i was like cool and so what i don't know if a collab will ever happen sample but, away yeah but uh <laughs> but uh but just funny story how like you know like they had no idea who this guy was yeah i mean it was, I, I, I work I, at a record store so i'm pretty tapped into stuff that i don't even like or know yeah but um if I wasn't, and I stayed, my bubble's wide. I'm an eclectic guy, but even still, I think I there's so much going on, even at a mainstream level, that I just wouldn't know. Because what the internet has done is it's made it go into 50 different directions. Yeah. And it's hard to find there's no all filter. those little subgenres. Yeah. Because everything's... Is you know, are, are you... Are you 
John Cusack or Jack Black in High Fidelity at your record store? I'm, oh God, <laughs> which one am I? I, I like, well, first of all, I'm not old and jaded on it because I still have that passion for music. I unloaded trucks for 20 years. Yeah. So I'd rather work around musicians and with musicians and have people who love music around me. So I'm not the jaded guy. Am I an elitist, gnarly prick yes. sometimes? When so, it, so you're the Jack Black character. A little bit. <laughs> when the NYU kid comes in and flips out over a Carpenter's record, <laughs> like they just found like the whole, you know, a piece hey, of man. gold. I'm like, dude, that record's $3 all over America. Or like, there's, you know, some people, you hear people talk. That's what's rough. Yeah. When people talk about like Metallica, which you've liked since 84. But it's not their fault if they're too young to understand. No, you know? but there's like a, there's a, there's a kind of accidental arrogance in some people that it's like, you're kind of shitting on like what I sacrificed my life for. And it's like, that's not their know. fucking problem, yeah. bro. Get over it. Well, I mean, you know, Zach <laughs> came to our store and hung out for like two hours. He filmed like, Oh, that's when he filmed. Yeah, all the, that was at the yeah, store yeah. I worked at generation yeah, records. Yeah. And the store was owned by old punk guys. And it's like a, t- it's a very metal based store. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he was doing ridiculous stuff. Cause Seabury like, hooked it up. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, um, so you know, it's working there is cool. If I worked in a store that was, not that cool. I'd probably be such a prick. Yeah. But it's only out of, again, it's out of passion. Sure. You know, and when a 19-year-old kid comes in and he just finds High on Fire or Mastodon, they look at me and they see the way I look or a shirt I'm wearing. They go, hey, man. Like, you could just see the hunger in their eyes like we did when we bought a fanzine. And I'm like, yo, check this out. Check this out. And I, I, I'll write down 10 things and be like, yo, check these out. And you still don't know, because I played you the Idols record in the car the other day on the way to the show. Yeah, well, there's always like, something oh, that kills us the radio. Shit, that's like her favorite record. Of the By the way, guess, uh, guess where they're playing. Where? Brooklyn Steel. <laughs> you called it. He blew me away. He played me that record the other day. I'm like, whoa. And you know. Love it. Part of me, yeah. and I'm, I'm part of the, I'm part of like keeping the store cool. And it's like, but there's these things that slip under the radar. Let me know but if you need anything else. Nice. <laughs> I'll hook you up with some good opening bands. Here. So, um, thank you. I need you know, it. It's, that's, but it's passion. Most of my friends are like, dude, don't work at a record store. Don't own a record store. You're gonna hate music in two years. I feel the total opposite because yeah. I unloaded a truck for 20 years. That sucks. Hey, look, I mean, for me, like as a as a fan, you know, as a music fan, as a music consumer, I've never been more excited because of being, you know, a Spotify, you know, guy like finding music on Spotify. Like, even though it was great to dig through the bins whenever I was a kid and, you know, buy an Iron Maiden record because of the Killers record cover or whatever, the fact that, like, now I feel more, like, more passionate about music now because there's so much more at my disposal. I've been able to find all this music that I would have to maybe take a risk on before, whereas now, like... You know, the Brant Bjork record came out yesterday, which I'm super stoked on. The new Conan record came out yesterday. You know, I'm stoked. Yeah, was, I mean, on, was it on your on your re- rec- uh, release radar and, like, discovery thing? I, I, the algorithm for that is pretty good. Yeah. It's, and um, Stories use it, too. Yeah. Because the person who, the girl who does the ordering, she's not tapped in fully. So she uses that. Yeah. You know, we, we're using it more as fans, but yeah. she's using it almost as a business model, too. Yeah. But like, but so I, and so like, I'm fans though. So like, I'm, when Brant Bjork runs through, rolls through town, I'm going to go see, like, I'm going to buy a shirt. Like, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's turning me on, it's putting stuff on my radar that wouldn't normally be there. So even though I feel like we're at a time to where we, the playing field is so leveled, it just makes the bands have to work harder to be recognized and to yep. be known and to be heard, right? right? You have to put a, you know, some more effort into doing it, like, like you know, like Monolord is doing, um, as an example. But, like, <laughs> I, like just, just for whatever, my two cents, but I feel like as a consumer and as a fan, 
I've never been more excited about having as much access to music as I have right now. And to me, it translates because I will buy a vinyl. I will go buy, I will go see them play and I will buy a shirt. And 30 years ago, it's no different than when we looked at thank you lists and what the band we liked, what shirts they were wearing, mm-hmm. or if they name dropped it in an interview. Like, of course. You know, because then it was like the scene. What local bands are from your scene? And they'd name four bands smaller than them. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I got to find them out. Same thing with Spotify, even the sidebar of YouTube when they give you similar artists of a. You click on a band you never heard of, and then there's five more bands you never heard of on the side. It's the same shit. Yeah, Dude, it is how pretty many, cool. How many bands did Cliff Burton turn you on to? Just right. by with the t-shirts he was wearing. Yeah, and you know... But didn't... Uh, Cliff Burton had a... Um, oh, yeah, totally with that, but yeah. I, remember, I was already I was, into the Misfits, I was reading, but for my friends, <laughs> he was a big that Simon was a game changer. Fan. <laughs> yeah, he, he was. was. He was a big Simon and Garfunkel fan. Of course. So am I, actually. Yeah, I know. So yeah. am I. <laughs> I. Huge fan. I, I mean, I wasn't rocking the gear. Well, with that said, we're... <laughs> we're but, uh, you know, Secret Love, my sister played. I'm like, these songs are amazing. We're two hours in. And, uh, are you kidding? Yeah, I swear to God. <laughs> Split it in half. I don't want to part take one, I'm, part I'm, two. I think I'm going to have to. Uh, I don't want to take any more of your time. Oh, uh, good. Thanks, Mr. Blasco. Thank, thank you, you so much, much for being yes. here.